0: The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Ladies and gentlemen, and variations thereupon, my name is Stig, and this is Modern Escapism. everyone, and uh, welcome back to another episode of Modern Escapism. Uh, this week, I am joined by Gadget. Hello. And Biggie. Good evening. And that's it. Tonight is a three-man pod, and we're going to do things a little differently, because we've had a bit of an issue with some technical issues and other things, and... Our original planned episode about fictional holidays is being put on hold and tonight we're going to do a bit of an extended nexus. So we will be talking between ourselves about various things we've done for the past week or so and then we'll hit on to what you listeners have been doing. Before we do that, we're going to head back in time with Biggie, and he's going to go over the feedback we got from listeners from last week's episode.
1: Yeah, hi. So uh, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed listening to... Um last week's episode um for those who might not realize when we take turns to drop out it's (laughs) i really enjoy listening to the episodes i'm not even on i just feel like a a fellow listener so yeah it's always great to uh, listen to him i look forward to it so um yeah first up we've got christopher love at deadbeat punk um he said i would love to play that home alone game packing light bulbs full of gunpowder and ball bearings, rubbing lard on the stairs, and of course the classic battery acid in a Coke can trick. <laughs> can, yeah. can,
2: can, can we send someone to check on Deadbeat Punk? Like, Is is he okay? Do we need to call the police?
0: Yeah, he's, uh, he's very inventive, isn't he? <laughs> very. <laughs> After last week's uh, wasp bomb, now the, oh, the battery God, acid. About that. Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: that was bad. Yeah.
0: I like I like the idea of the uh, home alone game. I thought it sounded very spy versus spy, mm. yeah. Like setting traps up while you you know to uh, above doors and things like that. Sounds really did they, good.
1: Did they not actually do one at the time? I mean, I don't remember. Yes, there is a home alone game. It's terrible. Uh,
2: yeah, it was, it was on the NES and the Game Boy, and it was just some weird platformer in a giant house It had very little to do with the film itself.
1: Of yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, film licenses, let's turn it into platformer, seem to be the norm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so following that, we've got uh, Calgo's Moo, and uh, in the Discord, he dropped in, uh, you guys discussing the terrible games based on movies is making me laugh quite a lot. So many of these totally pass me by. So I guess, yeah, if you're into retro gaming, um, there's a lot of stuff you can catch up with if you've got the time and you can suffer the pain of playing them, I guess.
2: Yeah, there's a whole world of nightmares to experience.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just
0: like that Home Alone one, isn't it? Like we just said then, how many (laughs) many games did they just release that had nothing to do with the actual film? It was just, this is a popular film, we'll make a game about it, but it won't have anything to do with the film.
1: Yeah. Did you ever play um, Cobra? I had it on the uh, 64. No. Based on the Stallone film. I mean... Yeah, it was something else. It just went in a loop. And it was just him walking around just shooting lots of people, which he did in the movie, to be fair. But plot wise, yeah, just absolutely nothing. Uh, so, yeah, we had the X Blend Blaster X on the Discord again. Uh, says, following on um, from Jeebus discussing Lolita, Ben brought up the film uh, in our Discord and he says, the Kubrick Lolita film is really interesting. I've not read the book, but I'm a big, big Kubrick fan. Yeah, great director. It's been a while since I've seen the film, but I'm sure that Lolita is portrayed as a 16-year-old. Sue Lyon, who played her, was 16 at the time, so not quite as wretched as the book. There is still a big age gap between her and James Manson. It's a very slick film, though, very pretty, and just an amazing juxtaposition of life with and without Lolita in it, and how it affects Humbert's life. (laughs) Judging by your discussion on the book, the Kubrick film is more toned down, and it's all about what's simmering under the surface. And he went on to add, uh, Gadget, I remember that PS1 game for small soldiers. I loved the film as a kid and remember being really confused by the game.
2: Such a bad game. (laughs)
1: Really bad
2: game. There's nothing to do with the film. Um, The point he makes about the Lolita film is actually a a pretty good point because I I did a little bit of reading up about it. And yeah, uh, Lolita is older in the film than she is in the book. Um, But I think a lot of the controversy around it was it wasn't the film... And I haven't seen it, so I don't know how true no, this I is. just either. what I read online. Um, but apparently the film isn't critical enough of Humpert. Like, it's almost presented as a romance, which I guess based on the way the book is described, I guess. But that's why that film is controversial. But it's not as controversial as the source text. I think mean, that is, was the- looking,
1: awful. The point that you were making, wasn't it, when you originally yep. asked in the, on the pod was, you know, do you sympathise with the character? Because that's kind of the last thing you want to really do. Exactly, and yeah. If the film goes down that route, then yeah, that's not quite getting the point, is it, I guess? No. Uh, so yeah, following on from that, um, we've got John Lister. He says, hello, gents. I wrote in a few weeks back and mentioned that I used the podcast as accompaniment while forging. This seems to cause a little consternation. To set your minds at ease, I'm not printing out dodgy fibers, but instead I'm an amateur blacksmith. Very interested in this. I'm a few weeks late in this one, but on the topic of sequels, I felt I should point out the greatest drop-off in quality of any TV series from season one to season two, Prison Break had a brilliant first season that felt packed with clever ideas, fleshed out characters, and plot twists. It was clearly a labour of love. Season two was a muddled mess. It felt like the writers were asked to hand in a script for another batch of episodes and were shocked they got that far. Yeah. I totally, totally agree with that. Yeah,
0: it's one of those ones where I saw that and I was just like, yeah, how did I miss
2: Prison Break? Like, it yeah. just. I, 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 I adored Prison Break. I mean, do you, I don't actually mind the second season so much season three oh my god it gets so bad yeah Uh, when they're they're in the mexican is a mexican prison or it's it's central american prison somewhere yes um and then the fourth season i remember i remember sitting through the fourth season and thinking okay is it ended yet is it ended yet (laughs) like when i'm willing a series to end because i'm so annoyed by it but the sunk cost fallacy comes out and like i've said come on i know it's the last season just let me see how it ends and it ends so badly well, the the, the problem with so how mad. it ends is that
0: the last episode was meant to be a full season, but because it got cancelled, they just... What, the,
2: fi- is that the final break one, was it?
0: Yeah, like, that was meant to be a season, or at least, like, a smaller season. They were meant to do that within a season, but then they couldn't. But then they brought it back a few years ago, didn't they? For, That's like, right, a one-off yeah, season, which I, which I, I never it. bothered watching. But mm. I think so at season four, there's, like, one really good episode where they break in and I think they have to go through a pipe. It's really intense. Yes, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably like the only thing I can remember that's any good from that series. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, something that was amazing to start with just kind of went downhill it was, so go?
1: cuz prison break was they obviously had to get out of the prison that's where all the drama was and then yeah. they made it in the first season is that right it didn't go Yeah into the, s- yeah
2: yeah they the get out of the, in the first season like the last episode is them basically out and on the run um the second season is basically it's them trying to stay on the run yeah. And they're being chased, so it becomes it becomes less about prison break, more yeah, about the fugitive. And that yeah, I, I still yeah. did quite like it because it was quite tense and it kind of yeah, moved, it had its it But a then bit. they had to
1: break into a prison to get one of them back out. No, Is
2: that right? No, oh no oh no, you you're you're missing out. The third season, they get arrested um in Central America somewhere. Flife me, I can't remember which country, um, and get put into a really gnarly prison that they have to then get out of again. Uh, But in half the time, because it was when the writer's strike happened, so they only got 13 episodes out of it as opposed to 24, so they had to do it in double quick time. And then the fourth season, it's all the conspiracy tying around itself, and the FBI's involved, and the CIA's involved, and they have to steal things from people. I think it was just
1: such a mess, like you said. And then
2: Michael Schofield's mum comes back into it, and she's pulling all the strings, (laughs) and then his girlfriend gets arrested, and that's what the final break is. They have to break her out of prison. So They have to break in. Get her, get out. <laughs> and it, it it's so unsatisfying. Like it's just, yeah. everybody double crosses everybody at some point and everyone plays a really bad part. And the the best part of season four is the bit that made me laugh the most, and I realise I'm going on about this, but I just need to get this point out. <laughs> the makeup to put on went with Miller for the tattoo. They got so sick of putting that on to him every time that there is a scene in like the second episode of the fourth season where he undergoes 19 hours of laser treatment in one sitting to get rid of all the tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) So they can have topless scenes or like scenes in a T-shirt. Yeah,
0: Yeah, because he kept wearing long-sleeve tops, didn't he? Like All the time.
2: But if anybody's had a tattoo lasered off, you know you don't get perfect skin after that. Mm. There is scarring. It just looks even worse. It also takes
0: about five or six
2: attempts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's so bad. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to do this in one sitting. Like, Dude, your entire body is covered in... I'm sorry, like now I to want
1: toe. to watch it. I want to go back and watch it watch,
2: watch it for the same reason that you would watch The Room, to laugh at it. Yeah. It's a two-drink minimum, though. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so, yeah, brilliant. Thanks for reminding us about that. Um, he also said on the uh, previous week's topic... I have two pieces of media that really scared me as a child and stuck with me. The first was seen Alien at my childminders when I was about seven or eight. So yeah, that was kind of the same kind of age I think I saw it. Obviously too young to be watching the film. And only got as far as the iconic face hugger scene. Watching that ghastly spider monster burst out of the egg and latch onto John Hurt left me with nightmares for weeks. Yep. The second thing that scared me is a common to a lot of people my age.
0: It. Which, yeah, yeah he, I think
1: yeah, that was <laughs> me. Yep. Clearly covered on that. That demonic clown utterly horrified me. And the worst bit is uh, I never saw the movie. I was scared from just seeing the trailer on TV. Something about Tim Curry popping out of the shower in the trailer just worked its way into my young brain. He's Thanks awful. Podcasts, keep up the great work. Jack.
0: Yeah, Pennywise, Tim Curry's just ugh. <laughs> absolutely did me in as a kid.
1: Have you guys seen the uh, the, the, the recent one? That's really good. Yes, I really enjoyed
0: yeah. it. I liked the first part. I didn't particularly like the second part. Mm,
1: yeah, agreed. It's not as good. But yeah, yeah. I, I do like Pennywise's character. Uh, pretty well done.
2: I just generally don't do horror films, so it's just like it held no interest for me. Yeah, too much CGI really in the second part that just kind of yeah. made it more laughable at times
0: than funny. Yeah, definitely. There's bits that like, the, the mini series just did better, and I think if you've been out... You know, being outdone by the miniseries for those parts,
2: then there's something wrong there. <laughs> I've not I've not even read the book.
1: Have you guys read the book? Is there anything No, that... oh, it's massive. It it's is, like a, isn't it?
2: Yeah. It's like six hundred pages or something it's a like that. Fair
0: old wedge. My wife was gonna try and read it before the uh remix came out. Um she never she never got through it. So
1: Yeah, uh, that's it.
0: Great. Well, thank you everyone who wrote in uh, for uh, last week's episode and any other feedback you've had. Uh, like I said uh, this week's episode we had to kind of put on hiatus and we are going to do really what we're going to do is just an extended nexus. So we're going to go around in a circle. We're going to talk about a few things that we've done and enjoyed. So uh, we're going to start with Gadget. Uh, Gadget what have you done this week?
2: Okay so um, yeah first of the, of the of the things I'm bringing to the table and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to shock you fellows I've been listening to another podcast. Oh my God. And it's I'm, okay. I've listened to many. <laughs> I know, but you know, Oodles does assert that we are the only podcast in the world. And <laughs> just feel, feel like a bit of a traitor. Uh, no, uh, I've been listening to a podcast uh, called Dungeon Dads, um, which is a and d podcast. Now, I love d and I've never played it, but I love it. Um, I, for the longest time, was a big fan of Critical Role. Um which is the one done by all the Hollywood voice actors, um which is very slickly produced, very well put together, and very well written uh but I discovered Dungeon dads kind of uh, maybe at the start of lockdown, the first lockdown um and it they're a group of four guys who are dads um and this the story that they're weaving in this podcast is actually really, really good and really fun and it's it's full of dad jokes and 1980s and 1990s references and <laughs> it's just really really enjoyable and it, it's um, I've binged through their entire last year's worth of content over the past six months or so uh, I support them on Patreon I just really enjoy them and I, I enjoy them so much that I actually interact with them on Facebook they have a Facebook group and I try and talk to them whenever I can They are just really, really nice guys, and the story they are writing is really, really fun. And it's a hard one to describe, because D&D is such a weird concept to describe to someone. Mm. Um, You you know, it's it's a tabletop role-playing game, but they're not in the same room. They're doing it all over Zoom, um, and using an online tool to do battle maps and do dice rolls and stuff like that. Um, Oh,
1: did this start before the lockdown, and then they've had to adapt, or has it always been
2: no they've 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 always they've always done it from different parts of america um two of them live in new york one of them lives in texas i think i don't i don't know where the other one lives um but they've always done it online um and in fact there is an episode i think it's like their 12th episode or something they actually which was just before lockdown they all got in the same room for the first time they've all been friends for years but all all four have never been in the same room at the same time and it's actually a really really fun episode Mm. um what I like most about it is that the characters that the 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 three who are playing characters are playing that might have been the worst sentence I've ever ever spoken. <laughs>
1: uh, you can player, edit you can edit that out.
2: <laughs> what I like most about it is the three player characters are very engaging to listen to. They have there is this wonderful balance between humor and drama in it. Um, for instance, one of the characters is a, a who's played by a fellow called Sam. Um, the character is called Abel, and he is a cleric for a certain god within this world that the DM has written. Um, and you know, when you think of Dungeons and Dragons, you think of it's you know it's it's classic medieval fantasy. So you would expect most people to try and do some kind of a British accent. <laughs> nope, he's Texan. He's a <laughs> Texan.
1: Cleric. Cleric. <laughs> nice.
2: Yeah. And he, he has a gruff voice. He talks a bit like that. <laughs> he comes out with some of the best lines because the character and the guy playing him are piss takers and they enjoy the humour of it. And the, 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 the guy who's playing him, Sam, he is very naturally funny and very engaging to listen to. Um one of the other one of the other characters is called Jonas, um, who is this uh, very highly intelligent wizard character who comes from a kind of a high born background and is permanently unlucky. Everything he does is wrong. All he's looking for is spell books and he never seems to find them. And everything just seems to fuck him up. And the guy who's playing him, John, every fucking dice rule goes against him. And he'll try and ca- he'll, he'll think, I've got this brilliant idea. I'm going to do this. It's going to be brilliant. And he rolls the dice. He's like, "Fuck!" It's a one, <laughs> and everything falls over for him. Um, and then the, the, the last character that you get is a uh, Filnia, who is a half elf, and he's really enigmatic and hard to describe. The character's background is like a like a diplomat's assistant. Like he's not a highborn or anything like that. He is just a normal guy who works in a kitchen in an embassy. But then there, he has this. Um, this this magical item, which kind of conveys like a parasitic relationship to him, like it's an enchanted item that has a personality, which the DM Tom has to voice. Um, and so you get this character who has all this kind of simple background, but then has all this drama swirling around him. Um, like questions over his personality and questions over his motives and who he is. It's really really engaging to listen to. And I'd really advise people to go and listen to it, especially if you've got some vague interest in Dungeons & Dragons. Like, I've stopped listening to Critical Rule because I enjoy this so much and I'm so invested in their storyline. And I'm not going to tell anybody the storyline because it's worth experiencing. That's why I'm kind of dancing around it while more describing the characters than kind of what happens in the world. But in places, it's hysterically funny. In places, it's really gripping and very dramatic and really, really worth listening to. Um, And they're also just really nice guys. And they've kind of inspired me to... I'm trying to write a D&D one-shot for us to maybe try as a special in the future. Um, and it's just because I keep listening to them and listen to how they do uh, their storylines and how they play the game is kind of why I want to DM something for us. So they've been the kind of a big inspiration for me and it's it's given get my creative juices going. I'm very excited.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, Stig, but the, the D&D for me just that error just went right past me. I think I was playing games and I remember doing the old Stephen Jackson books, but I didn't know anyone out of my mates that actually played D&D back in the day. So I just never played it, never no, played it had, at No, I don't understand
0: any of it, to be honest.
2: I think uh, I think D&D, I mean, especially when it came out, was a very much more an American thing than it was over here. I'm sure mm. there were people over here who played it in the 70s when it first came out, but like... Yeah, we got the Fighting Fantasy books, and we got like the board games, like Hero Quest and stuff like that.
1: I remember in the magazines and stuff, there'd be like a Judge Dread one, and there'd be like, and I don't know, like an Alien version or, or something like that. They're these yeah. really cool D and D and Marvel superheroes. I think I remember a Marvel having a big one, but again, just never saw it, never knew anyone played it.
2: Yeah, well, I've got uh, I bought the um, the Essentials Kit, the D and D Essentials Kit, in the summer. And I keep reading it. I keep looking at it. Um, if you ever hear like something dropping on my desk in the podcast, I've, I'm playing with. I tend to fiddle with the D20 that came with it, just because it's nice to. It feels nice in the hand. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoy it. And like I said, I've never played D and D, but I adore it, and I want to do more with it. So I will be doing it at some point. And if I don't do it for us, I'll be finding someone to play with soon. I think.
1: I, I... and it's weird because we played um, RPGs and stuff, you know, in yeah. games. It's not too too similar, is it?
0: I just want to ask: um, How do people? Pick the characters because, like in games, like uh, Biggie just mentioned, then you're kind of given a set thing out. You like it's here's a dwarf, they kind of do this. Here's an elf. Here's a human. But like you just mentioned, then like one of the characters is um, a diplomatic assistant. Like who decides? Do you know what? I want my character to be a diplomatic assistant. Like sh- so, why does no one want to just be ace a warrior? Yeah, or from the start.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you say this, because they actually do this on the podcast itself. They have bonus episodes where they go through the character creation and how they settle upon them. Generally speaking, it's something when you're setting up a D&D game, you will, your DM will say, this is the story we're playing, or this is the context that we're going to start in. Um, and then it's up to the DM and the player to work out between them what a character is. So you can come in with an archetype. You can say, oh, I'd like to be a human barbarian, or I'd like to be... A half elf mage, or you know anything like that, and then you kind of have to work together to go. Okay, so this is how you build the character. There is a set way of rolling. Um, you roll your attributes with with the dice um, based on the uh, Dungeons and Dragons rule set that you're playing to. And then after that, it's up to the player and to appoint the DM, but mostly the player to then work on the backstory. Because the other part of D and D that I think some people miss is that you have to play act. You know, you it's all improvisation, so you have to. Create a character for yourself as well as work with the dm you have to uh, create a character for yourself you have to if you're going to put on a voice, you have to pick a voice that you can maintain you you could roll a character depending on what the what the rules come out you could want a barbarian, but you might roll a really low strength so you go okay well, he wants to be a barbarian, but he's a bit shit at it <laughs> you, know, you, you can do that that's totally within the rules because that's what role playing is and that's what I like about it because anything can anything can come from that so you could have a really low strength rule on your barbarian. You get the DM would say, Do you want to change to a rogue because you've got higher decks? You go, No, 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 I'll stay as a barbarian and we'll see where it goes. And then you get to a point where, you know, so many sessions down the line you've leveled up and you go, Hey, I can finally pick up a sword, you know (laughs) and you can be a barbarian. (laughs) So it's like it's it's back and forth between the DM and the player and how you create a character and where all that comes from.
1: So what's the time scale? Like and I understand these games can go on for some serious time, right? So
2: the, the podcast I'm listening to, their game has been going for a year now. Um, I know people who, I, I know a guy um, in Germany who DMs games and he's got one that's been running for four years. So they go as long as you want them to. I mean, what I'm planning to put together for, if, for us to potentially do will be something that works out in one four hour session. Like, I don't want to do like a multi year game.
1: But yeah, the, yeah. The idea is um,
2: it can go on as long as you want. Basically, as long as the DM can keep writing stories and as long as there's stories to tell in that world.
1: You do realise you're going to be holding our hand for those of us that never played it before.
2: Trust me, we, I will be titling the story "The Blind Leading the Blind" because I've never DM'd any either. So, uh, but yeah, go to Dungeon Dads. I really enjoy them. Cool, great. Um, so, what's your uh,
0: first thing to bring to the table, Biggie?
1: I've actually got two. But I'll only very quickly mention one of them because uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I can't believe I never saw this movie before. I watched What We Do in the Shadows. Yes! Wow. Such a good uh, film. The, the only point I put down in my notes is genius. I don't know what else to say, really. <laughs> Just, yeah, really enjoyed it. So good. And um, my only problem is, uh, some, I, not that it really matters, but um, I'm half deaf. Um, so I sometimes prefer to put subtitles on movies. And um, they've obviously got quite strong Kiwi accents, so um, I did probably miss the odd joke here or there, so I couldn't quite catch it. Yeah. And I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime, and it's got no subtitles for some really we- weird, weird oh, reason. That's weird. Not even yeah, like clo- but, uh, not even like
2: closed captioning.
1: Nope. Wow. Yeah, which did surprise me, but uh, yeah, I loved it thoroughly, just, yeah. Yeah, good choice, so thank you for that so I'll watch the uh, series at some point yeah, definitely
0: check out the TV TV show
1: but uh, yeah I just wanted to quickly talk about um, something that some of the people in the Discord know what I've been up to I uh, managed to get GTA 3 running on my PS Vita now uh, to cut a little, long story short, I've basically, when I got my Vita, loved playing it, used it for travel um, when I was working on the cruise ships and uh, going abroad. It was quite nice to uh, play on. Um, I did have a US and a UK account, and oh my God, the way that Sony set that up so that you had to switch between your accounts is just, oh, you have to have separate memory cards. You have to format your device every time you want to swap it round. It was just a joke. So I got very frustrated with the way Sony set this up. And then I discovered there was a modding community online. Looked into it and realized that you could um, hack your Vita. So this is what I did. Um, I also managed to get hold of a cheap PSTV before they skyrocketed in price. And I've hacked that as well. So I basically used my PSTV as my main go-to device uh, for my retro gaming and stuff. And my Vita's there as a backup. But yeah, um, somebody recently... I mean, the fact that the Vita's not supported by Sony anymore, that's not making them... Sony dropped support for this a long time ago, basically. But this community is still going strong, and there are people that actually invest their personal time to just come up with different software, um, different little... Um, Oh, what's what I'm looking for? Life-changing apps for this uh, little device. And yeah, somebody suddenly decided they wanted to port GTA 3, the PC version, onto the Vita. Um, They've done a great job. Uh, It's all done, you know, as legit as modding can be. So they've just basically said to people, if you want to do this, you need to have a legit copy of uh, GTA 3. So I had a look on Steam. Um, It was going for $4.99 there. Managed to find another website that was sending it for cheaper. So I got the key for about £1. Um, Installed it into Steam and then got the assets from that, transferred that to my Vita, used a couple of bits of software that they all provided in the little guide. And it also, um, they took the assets from the Xbox version and they took the HDR um, car skins, and you can put that on as well just to spruce up the graphics a little bit. All right. And uh, it runs anything between, let's say, 20... 5 to 30 frames per second currently in the first version of the firmware that they set out. Um, Or software, sorry, not firmware. But yeah, it's great. It's just nice having a really decent looking version of it running around my Vita. I've really enjoyed it. I'm so impressed that these people put their time aside uh, to keep this community going. Um, And a particular mention to The Flow who, um, he's basically had a battle with Sony for probably the last um i don't know let's say two or three years maybe longer every time sony released a new firmware he managed to hack it as soon as possible so that people could still do this Um, (laughs) and he now um he actually found a way to um jailbreak the ps4 and then sony um i don't know if you guys ever saw this sony sent out a request to people that do this kind of stuff that if you legit um, explain how you do these things um, and show them how they did it then they will pay you to stop doing it <laughs> like, like a one-off payment and he did it, he took them on offer I think he got paid something ridiculous, I, I could be wrong here something like 10 grand by Sony nice. um, They weren't were, like your
0: your prize is in this room and then they walked in and someone just put a hood over his head and that was it, he's gone,
1: never to <laughs> be yeah. seen again You're yeah. <laughs> are for my free but, boat yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah Yeah, it was um, yeah, really simple. And the weird thing is, it's things like the game wouldn't run properly with sound because the WAV files, or the audio WAV files, needed to be compressed. So somebody wrote a program that did that for you. And it changed it into MP3. So you do that and you tinker around with it and then off you go. And uh, yeah, it was up and running. So really impressed. Played it for a little while. And guess what? They're now working on Vice City 1. Excellent.
0: So Sony just giving up on the Vita now then? like
1: Oh, so a long time
2: like, like, no,
0: but I mean, I know they've given up on updating it and putting games up. But in terms of this kind of stuff, are they just like, we're, we're focusing on PS4, the, PS think, 4, the yeah, PS5. Yeah, yeah. Like this th- is not even, they're not even that bothered I off.
1: Th- if I'm right, the PS3 and the Vita have now disappeared from the store. So unless you're in a, an app browser or something, it's the only way to download your games. There's something that's a bit funny about how they've done that. They dropped it from... Um, the stores uh the last firmware update came out maybe a year or so ago um but yeah i mean i think we've discussed it before the memory card issue um i think sony did their own way to uh, to kill that machine off by yeah releasing over expensive memory cards it's ridiculous how much they went
2: they, they, they really did the beta dirty i had one and i thought it was a cracking piece of kit
1: well, you so see, now that you've hacked it, um, you can use your own SD memory card. So I've got like a two hundred and sixty megabyte one in mine. It's got um a gigabyte, sorry, not megabyte, gigabyte. Uh, so yeah, it's got all my, um, my SNES ROMs on it. It's got all my um, PSP games on there. It's got. It's basically an emulator. It's brilliant. Um, using RetroArch. I Don't know if anyone's ever heard of that. Yeah. It's a great Apple tool that's used for emulation you basically make sure that you have all the assets but it provides you with the tool to run all the games Excellent. Um, yeah it's really good Um, love using it and yeah I just like to get into my retro hour or so and then I just tinker around with any old games so can you play Final Fantasy 7 on it? It's my go to for playing my Final Fantasy 7 and that's where I play it when I get round to it when I'm not (laughs) podcasting watching movies and doing stuff so, no, I haven't finished it, Gadget. One day, one day we'll have finished it.
2: I've got a sound sample ready for when he does. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, what about you then, Stiggy?
0: Um, so, obviously, I've not been on for the last week or so. Um, got a few things that I'm currently on reading uh, The Secret Commonwealth, uh, which I'm really enjoying. I'll probably discuss that more on the show when I finished it. Um, if people don't know, this is the follow up to His Dark Materials. So that's it's the second book of the new trilogy that Philip Pullman's released for that. So yeah, just on with that. Uh, I watched a film last night called "I Lost My Body." It's a French animated film. It's only about an hour and twenty minutes. It's really good, like really well worth uh, checking out. Uh, Definitely watch it with the French subtitles. I started it in English, and I just thought actually this feels like I should be watching it in French. So yeah, I watched it in the French um, with the subtitles, and it it was better. Yeah, and yeah, and I mentioned it the other week. I was playing Thomas was Alone, and I finished that this last week as well. So really enjoyed that. Excellent music that, and surprisingly quite emotional for what the game is when you yeah, finish it. It's a game
2: with just squares, squares, or something.
0: squares, and rectangles. Yeah, but it just has this really lovely narrative arc, and like you feel like you grow to know these little squares so but the, it's <laughs> it's the music the music just gets you like it's so good i've been listening to it on spotify um well
1: if the narrative and the music managed to do that with the base basic graphics then they've obviously done a good job haven't they
0: yeah i mean it is like so basic the game when you look at it but uh everything else they've kind of put into it is really done really well uh but one of the main things i want to talk about is i've have been playing and finished uh since the last pod um a plague's tale innocence so this is available on game pass and to obviously make sure i get enough out of my game pass i actually started to look at games to play on there rather than letting it lapse and then going oh i've not played anything in a month <laughs> yeah,
1: that's my problem
0: yeah so I looked at this one. I've heard good things about it. So this is a horror stealth game. It's set in France in late 1348. You play as a young girl called Amicia de Rune. Uh She's like a noble descent, and she has to go on the run when the English turn up. It's set during the Hundred Year War, so the English turn up and start sacking towns and v- villages basically just wiping everybody out uh but behind all that is they're trying to get they've been sent there by um some high up uh religious bloke to try and capture her brother because he's got some kind of thing inside him that he wants uh so she finds herself caught between having to protect her brother while the inquisition are killing everybody and also, while this mysterious black substance begins to emerge out of the forest and it's making people sick and turning rats into crazy, bloodthirsty creatures. So like yes. a, like a large majority of this game is what, working your way through these hordes of rats like, and your only defence against them is light. The rats don't like light, light, that's it. You've got to like use fire and corridors of light to try and work your way through them. It's very stealth and puzzle-based. Um, I'd say it's probably like sixty percent stealth, thirty percent puzzles, and ten percent action. There's very little action in it, um, but it's re- it's wrapped around a really engaging story. It's like it's the story that really like kept me going with it. It doesn't really rely on set pieces. What action there is in there is basically running away from things. Um, so you don't have to. You're not constantly going up against hordes of bad. You know. English army like coming at you because the only thing you actually um, that you have to protect yourself with is a sling. So Misia, she has a sling and throughout the story you can kind of upgrade that sling. People you meet give you new upgrades for it like, oh no, you can turn this into a fire rock or this thing here. You can shoot it at enemies' helmets and it's like a stink bomb and it forces them to take their helmets off. So you can use your sling to attack to kill them. But you don't actually have to kill them. You can work your way around it if you want it. You can use distractive, distracting, distracting tactics like throwing pots, making noises, working your way around them rather than actually having to try and kill them. Um, it's very. I was a bit worried when I started it that it was going to be like one big, large escort mission because <laughs> you basically start off. You do you do the little bit at the beginning, which introduces you to the characters and the place, and then when you the English attack, you go on the run with your little brother, Hugo, and. You're just holding his hand. Like, literally, you're holding the little boy's hand all the time. Um, but it develops into more than that. Like, you can actually use Hugo to get through parts, put him, you know, send him to crawl through things and open up stuff that you can't get through. You can leave him behind while you clear the enemies if you want to do that. But you've got to always be aware of where he is because if you leave him for too long, he gets scared and alerts the guards. Um, so yeah, you've got to, or, or you like run off somewhere and just run into a pit of rats or something stupid. Mm. So yeah, you you've got you can't just be like, right, I, I'm not interested in escorting him. I'm going to leave him here, clear the whole path, and I'll come back. The game won't let you do that. You, you you have to be aware of where he is at all times. Yeah. Um. So it just gives you a little bit of freedom, but also still reins you in. Um. Because the whole game is basically you are protecting Hugo. So it's, there's no point in the game if it was to just say, right, we'll leave Hugo here and then fuck off, do everything else, then come back and get him. Like, the idea is that the game, the people obviously made the game, want you to feel protective of Hugo. Outside of, obviously, Amicia and Hugo, you've got a lot of side characters. And I actually really like the side characters in this as well. They weren't, they didn't feel expendable. Like, it you Know some games in this kind of situation, you'll meet a side character, and then within like five minutes, someone's put a sword through them, and you're like, Oh, well, that was pointless. But these actually are integral to the story and a big part of it, and then and some of them stay with you throughout like nearly the whole thing. So it's uh, yeah, they, they felt as big a part of the story as like Amicia and Hugo do. So the whole story centers around Amicia trying to protect Hugo because one, she's it's her younger brother and um, her parents have been killed during this attack at the start. Uh, and two, this cardinal guy is is after him because of what's in his blood. So you're not only trying to... Throughout the game, you're trying to like calm him down because it sets him off. And he does that annoying thing where a little boy in a game gets annoyed and runs off. It, you know all these games like that where you're escorting someone. And then they run <laughs> yeah. off, and you're like, "For fuck's sake!" Now I've got to run after him. <laughs> like that does happen, but it's it's only happen. I think it only happens like once, so it doesn't. It's it doesn't get annoying having to actually escort him through these these levels. Um, like I said, though, I was just
1: gonna quickly mention, you know, um, The Last of Us. Yeah, I think just the way that Ellie used to run around sometimes used to do my head in because it's trying to create this tension, and then she'd just jump in front of the guy that you're trying to like hide behind or whatever, and, because obviously they don't attack her generally. Uh, it just used to break the tension, because it was just going to, oh, there she is, Will you get out of the way. Yeah, and,
0: that's one of the problems that game had. Um, when you, Because that is basically your Scott and Elliot, your front, the whole thing. That yeah. You yeah. hide a couple of times where I'd be hiding behind something, and she'd just be running around this block, and I'd be like... <laughs> that guy's going to see her and then he does see yeah. her but nothing happens yeah but in this if as soon as they're discovered like you have like a couple of seconds to get back and try and either distract the guard or kill the guard or something um because you are just otherwise he's dead that's why that's that's to say that's why you can't just leave them uh, it, mm-hmm. it's done really well actually I, I don't think i can remember a point where when the people you were like the brother or the people you were with when they get seen, they get seen. So they're they're just as as visible as you are. So that's why like you can tell him to stay here, or come to me, go over there kind of thing as well. So um yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. Like the story just really got me, like invested in it. there's a couple of, you know, puzzles that's going a little bit too long. Um, particularly one section in, within a castle and moving some fire pits around, just it's a bit of a pain in the ass. But, like I said, it's more... If you're into stealth and puzzles, it's like this is a good game. For, and with a nice story, this is a good game for you because, like I said, it's not combat-centric. You aren't constantly, like, a- attacking enemies. I think there is effectively three bosses in the whole thing. like And even, like, two of them that you fight aren't... It's not like any traditional boss fight that I've really that you'd expect in this kind of third-person game. So the rats in this, like, they are horrific. So they've been... These rats have clearly been affected by whatever this thing's coming out of the forest and this plague. Like, it's it's just made them, like, absolutely bloodthirsty and crazy. So if you get anywhere near them, you're dead. You're just getting engulfed by this, like... There's just thousands and thousands of rats throughout this whole game. Oof, Constantly chasing. Oh, yeah. I, I hate rats. <laughs> I really, really do not like rats. So, like it
1: got me the way you were talking about the game. I was picturing the uh, Dishonored, mm-hmm. where yeah. you have an ability in that where you can uh, kill the enemy with a swarm of rats, and I was starting to picture this game in that kind of style. And uh, yeah, they're they're quite horrific, but not by the sounds of it, as bad as the one. Oh, you're this in.
0: is awful. The way, honestly, you could you, you'll see a, a guard and he's got like a torch in his hands, and you can use your sling and you to knock his torch out. And he's in pitch black and you just see this swarm of rats just over his body. And then once they disperse, it's just a skeleton. Yeah, like yeah. he literally just devoured the flesh on his body it's it is so it's a really horrific game in parts I've um, not played
1: dishonored then I take it no no <laughs> very similar very yeah. similar but mm.
0: like even outside the rats you have like it's the horror of the English army are literally just going from places to place killing everything burning things you see depictions of like them hanging people and torturing people as you go through the game uh it's there's one moment in there that involves a battlefield which is kind of stunning and horrifying at the same time uh, but the, and then the horror element like really ramps up in the final third it, it kind of goes in the last act of the game it kind of goes full on like supernatural horror like when you start to find out about what's actually going on so like to begin with it's all kind of like the rats are crazy the english inquisition are killing everyone uh, the people in the town are going crazy because of because of this plague and then right towards the end when you start to find things out it's like right now here's the balls to the walls horror okay <laughs> oh, if you will yeah. yeah but it's good not in a bad way it doesn't like yeah. like it's not all of a sudden oh look now all the people are turning into monsters or anything like that it's just more there's something involves like the rats and the plague and everything it's it's really good like it's it's a really good story um i think it's what, 10, 10 hours long something like that it's not very long
2: All oh, right, okay
0: maybe a bit longer i don't know but uh yeah i really enjoyed it
2: i might i might give it a try it sounds interesting i remember seeing screenshots of it and thinking it looks quite yeah. pretty yeah, yeah
0: if you've got game pass it's well worth a um a go i know Dumakin really likes it um he He was saying that not enough people talked about it at the time. Um, I don't think it really got much mention at the time. Um, I believe it came out last year. I tried as well to be authentic with this one as well and play it in French. (laughs) Because it's it's set in France and it's by French developers, Uh, the the voice acting is on in French. So uh, I thought I'll try it in French. But I couldn't keep up because Mm. it's all right in the cutscenes, but when they're talking during like in-game in game, trying to focus, trying and, to focus and, you, and you can't see what's going on and you, and you can't keep up with who's talking when there's more than two of you there uh, but what's re- actually really interesting is if you play it in English it's all the people who did the French voice acting did the English voice acting so it's all so authentic yeah that's, that's, that's a nice move yeah it's all authentic rather than it just being someone putting a French so they still sp- they speak English with a French accent but it's french people doing it so it's really good that is
1: how any voiceover should be done you know when you watch the news and they try to do like a a foreign minister speak and then they do it in english and they've got some guy from yorkshire doing the accent. (laughs) (laughs) it's just ridiculous that's exactly how voiceover should be done yeah i agree i I, I
0: really enjoyed that so if you've got game pass i highly recommend it i do have game pass and when my series x turns up i'll make sure to download it so back to you then, Gadget. What else have you? Uh, has been tickling your fancy.
2: Okay, so going from a game with three bosses and uh, and and French voice actors to a game with ten thousand bosses and Japanese voice actors. Because I'm going to talk about Sekiro. Oh, now if you've been following us on Twitch, I've been playing Sekiro for the past few weeks. Um, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. It's the most recent game out from um, the Sublime from Software. Um, you know biggie's worst enemies uh the people who made dark souls and uh, demon many. souls um and yeah i've been streaming i'm about halfway through the game at this point so i kind of feel like i'm enough of authority to speak about how much i'm fucking hating and enjoying every moment of it <laughs>
1: um i enjoyed watching your stream the other night was, uh,
0: isn't that like the general feeling with from softwares the game a love-hate relationship
2: yeah, generally, generally speaking, I think it's when it's the first time you're playing one. Well, like, I had that relationship with Demon Souls, but with Dark Souls, I just loved it from the start because I knew the mechanics and all the way through, including Bloodborne and stuff like that. But Sekiro changes it up from the Dark Souls format. It's vaguely. Your character moves in a vaguely familiar way if you know how to play Dark Souls. But the combat system is completely different because um, with Dark Souls, you, you, you know, you turtle up behind a shield, you walk up to an enemy, you let them whack at your shield a few times, you go, oh. I can walk behind you and stab and then he's dead and that's how it works in that it doesn't work like that in Sekiro cuz
1: Hey and you've never told me this tactic in Dark Souls <laughs> by the way. It's a-
2: <laughs> fairly self-evident when every enemy turtles up behind a shield.
1: Um, but, Noted.
2: Yeah, with Sekiro though it, it flips it on its head because there are two ways to kill enemies. You can either whittle down their health or because you're a shinobi um you can break their posture. And it's something that the game does its best to explain to players, but I don't think it explains very well, because when the game first came out, I bounced off it hard. Like I got maybe like two hours into it and just threw it away in a fit of rage. Um, so, the, so the way the game works is it, it's actually all about parrying and blocking attacks, because the more you do that, the more you break the posture or you do posture damage to the enemy. And so every fight is about trading blows back and forth constantly. A little bit like how Bloodborne changed the Dark Souls format to being to forcing you to be aggressive because there were no shields in the game. Um, this one forces you to be defensive in an, in an offensive way, which boggles the mind. And it's only this time around playing it, since I've been streaming it and I've actually had people watching me, that I've actually realised how to play the game and how I should be playing it. Um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. There are times when it is awful. There are times when it delivers the most bullshit at you. <laughs> there is so much bullshit in that game. <laughs> For instance, in the stream I did on Saturday night to, um, to, when Oodles wasn't able to stream, um, there's, there's this bit I'm working up my way of in a Castle. And, you know, you've you've got your little grappling hook thing with your fake hand, and you can pull yourself up, up the rooftops and think, oh, I'm going to stealth around everything. I'm not going to deal with things. And I get on this one rooftop, and there is this thing walking around. It's not a human. It's like a humanoid monster-y thing. Like okay. And it throws these boomerang shuriken things at you which they kind of curl around and are really hard to defend. It's fine. Kill him. Think right this is what I'm facing now. Because it's a From Software game you don't expect it to be realistic in any way shape or form. So I get to the next rooftop and there's two of them. I think okay this is bullshit but I've killed one I know how to deal with these two. And I'm in the middle of fighting them and in the background I hear a scream. And from that scream comes down a third one which has fire on its weapon and fucks fucks my shit up completely. And I think, where the fuck did he come from? And as I'm coming back up after I died to work it up, he is hanging from a kite off the side of the fucking thing and he screams down from the sky to fuck my shit up specifically. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, oh my God, this is total bullshit. This is complete and utter absolute bullshit. But the best one I had, and uh, if you go on our Instagram, i put a clip of me dying repeatedly to him. Uh, it was it was one of the bosses I thought it was called the um, the uh, Ashina uh, Ashina Elite, and you walk into this room at the top of this pagoda, and he's just sitting there meditating, and uh, the health bar comes up and says he's a boss. I'm like, okay, cool. So I walk up to, I walk up to him holding the defend button, expecting just to parry off a blow. He doesn't do anything, so I attack, and then I die, because he swipes at you. His sword does a lot of damage to you, and he does two attacks at once. So he like swipes up and swipes back down with his sword, and that takes off your entire health bar. And I'm sat there going, "What the fuck just happened?" <laughs> and the whole, the whole, that whole fight, like the, the, the spawn point is right outside his room. Like they know that you are going to die a lot to this guy because very rarely uh, at you, least they're
1: being nice about that.
2: Yeah, the, there are some bosses where they expect you to die a lot, and the um the it, it's not a bonfire in this game; it's a, a sculptor's icon. They are right by the boss room. Um, and yeah, it took a lot. And it, it's one of, it, one of those bosses, that the benefit of him is when you, when you learn the rhythm of his attacks, you do a lot of posture damage when you deflect them. So actually killing him doesn't take a lot of time. Learning him takes a lot of time. Mm. Like What I've noticed with it as well, compared to Dark Souls, is a, a lot of boss fights in Dark Souls can take a long time to do. They can take upwards of five minutes, depending on how you're approaching it. When I've succeeded in a boss fight in Sekiro, they're done in 30 seconds. They are not long fights, but there are so many of them. You get major bosses, which are like big story based enemies to deal with. And then there is like three or four mini bosses on the way up to them. Uh, They all have these different fighting styles. They all have very unique weapons. One thing I like, despite the fact that it's a very unrealistic game in terms of like there are weird creatures and monsters and fantasy fantasy shit in it, all the fighting styles are real like samurai and shinobi fighting styles from feudal Japan. Like, they use weapons realistically, mm. and I really enjoy that because the whole thrust of the game is learning the enemy movements, learning how to deal with that particular bullshit, and punishing it. But it's realistic.
1: What's that flashing red thing that comes up on the screen? Is that like a kill move or something? Yeah. So yes, yeah, so, yes.
2: Yeah, some some enemies. Uh, actually, I think most enemies, to be fair, have a move that is considered. I can't remember what it calls it, but it's like it's like a big damage move, and it's basically an indicator to say this is going to fuck your shit up. <laughs> um, but it, it generally indicates like a move that you have to do something special to avoid. Either it's like it's like a leg sweep with a um, with a spear, in which case you would jump over it, or it's a huge thrusting attack. A huge thrusting attack is a move you unlock called the Makiri Counter, where you stamp on their weapon into the ground and do a lot of posture damage to them because you basically knock them off their balance.
1: I was going to say, I assume you can do the same back to them.
2: Uh, I don't think you can do that specific move, uh, those specific moves. But yeah, it's like you you have strong moves. There there are moves you can unlock that give you kind mm. of extra combos. You also have the prosthetic arm because in the one the opening boss fight, you lose your hand because Genichiro again just kind of fucks you up, um, and you're given a prosthetic, which is an impressive feat for the 13th century Japan. Um, <laughs> but it's it's made of bone and rope and elastic and stuff like that. But and it, it's what your grappling hook is like, so he can fling it and pull himself up on a tree. But you can also attach weapons to it. So the first, bot whenever you talk talk to someone who's bounced off Sekiro, they'll probably say they have bounced off at the um, at the raging ogre, which is one of the very first. It's the second mini boss in the game. And that ogre fight is awful because it's on a set of stairs, which is a really hard way to fight in that game. Anyway, he does so much damage to you, and like. He will grab you, and he will hurl you, and it's like usually one-hit kills, and it's a real frustration point for a lot of people. And he's got a lot of health, and it takes a lot of time to knock down his um, uh, knock down his stamina. Uh, the, with having the prosthetic, you can actually attach extra weapons to it. So there is a weapon in, in the game called the flame vent, um, which is basically a giant fucking flamethrower. Again, 12th century Japan. Great. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> uh, which you get, and that in particular enemy is afraid of fire. So you throw fire at him, he like staggers, and you can get some damage on him. And So you get these interchangeable weapons on the prosthetic that allow you to do things like break shields, or pull enemies close to you, pull armour off some enemies. Um, So it's a very well-designed combat system. I know a fair bit about Sekiro. I've watched a lot of streams on it. I'm at the halfway point in the story, when I beat the boss I'm up against now, uh, which is Genichiro. Um, Because you face him three times throughout the game, at the very beginning, in the middle, and at the very end. Um, Once I beat him here, then the game starts to get very fantastical, and you start dealing with less human enemies and more weird creations like the guardian ape or giant serpents and dragons and shit. It gets very from software, but I'm really enjoying it, despite how much I hate it. And I love it, <laughs> but I hate
1: it. You I made love me it. Buy I hate it, it. Didn't you?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah oh, I made you buy it. But that, to be fair, you. that is your silly fault because you're just like in- increasing that backlog of yours.
1: Oh, I know, but I did enjoy watching it, and I thought yeah. I like a bit of samurai action, uh, big fan of Tenshu, um, got the feels from that, and yeah. uh, I've got Neo as well, so I just kind of love that sort of kind of universe, I, I will, really I'll, enjoyed watching it.
2: I will say, once the combat clicks with you I do actually find it a bit easier than Dark Souls especially kind of the general enemy to enemy combat, bosses are a different thing bosses take some work out, but like I say, once you yeah, work I'm out sure. how to beat a boss, it takes seconds to finish the fight, as opposed to a long minute Um and some of the boss fights aren't because they are so, they so numerous in the game. They're not as grand as Dark Souls. Like they don't tend to get their own music unless it's a story boss. There is just a generic boss fight music, a bit like Final Fantasy, where you have a generic boss fight music unless it's a huge, big story moment. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's such a good game, and I, I'm glad I've finally gotten into it because, like I say, I bounced off it for such a long time. Like mm. Eighteen months between it coming out and me actually starting to understand it. Um... Yeah, thoroughly enjoying it, and if you haven't played it, I'd recommend you try it. It's usually cheap on something or other. It's usually on sale, but also with the, with the next gen consoles coming out, I think you can start playing them at sixty frames a second now. Because I'm playing it on PC, so I'm playing it at sixty, and mm. um, I think it's enha- it is definitely enhanced by having that higher frame rate.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like me playing Dark Souls. It's frustrating as hell, but I do have the secret enjoyment. To it, it's starting to click a bit more now. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, 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 reached, progress. You,
2: you reach that point in all from soft games. You either bounce off it quite early on, which I did with Sekiro, or you find enough in it to enjoy that kind of makes you a bit stubborn with it, and you just say, "I'm going to fucking beat this game." You know, like <laughs> you really want to push through it. Mm. You played but, it, Stig? No, the
0: only one I've played is Bloodborne. Ah, you should um, get it, man. No. He's the one that bounces off it quick. (laughs) I think I will. No, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't think they look great. I just, I don't know if I can. Do that to yourself? Do it. Yeah. I I struggle with Bloodborne. I got, I don't know how far, like I said before, I don't know how far I got in. I I killed a few bosses, got to a point where I got knocked out and woke up in a cage. And then I just bounced off it and just couldn't be bothered with it anymore. So. Um no, I'm happy that you're enjoying it and not getting frustrated to the point where you're hating it, but um maybe one day I will do, but there's so many other games out there that I would prefer to play first that if I ever get onto it it's way, way, way down the list. <laughs> so Um Yeah. Uh so Biggie, anything else? What have you, have you been up to? Uh
1: because yeah, the um Halloween theme um, that we had uh, recently, I ended up watching the movie The Host, oh, um, it's good. which I briefly referred to. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, didn't know much about it, I have to be honest. Um, so I, I took it as for what it was. I had a rough idea that it was going to be um, based around the Zoom call, which I thought was uh, really cool. So for those that don't know anything about it, um, it came out this year. It's directed by Rob Savage possibly one of the first movies to actually feature the pandemic as part of uh, the background, because obviously we're in this uh, awful times at the moment. So basically, um, six friends hire a medium to hold a séance, and it's done via Zoom because they're all in lockdown. Uh, But during the Zoom call, uh, they get far more than they bargained for as things quickly go wrong. Um, So it stars um, some sort of... uh, so I think there's a mixture of British-American um, actresses. I could be wrong here. But, uh, um, yeah, the the usual tropes apply to this kind of movie. It's kind of stuff that's been done before. You've got, obviously, the Blair Witch Project, which was like the found footage with cameras. So everything was done from a camera view. But what I love about this is it's the clever use is obviously the pandemic to put them in a situation in the first place. But it's using the current technology that we have in our world these days, which includes Zoom, Um, And there's a couple of other things to do with how we use our phones these days, but I don't want to ruin any surprises for anybody, so I won't go into too much detail about it. But um, yeah, it ramps things up really quick, and it does create this tension. Um, I think the performances were really good Mm -hmm. um, by everybody in the movie. I thought it was really well done. Uh, It's not particularly long. I think it's just over an hour. I think it's probably quite hard to keep that gimmick going for so long. Uh, so I, th- I think the way they did it was um, really well done they use a zoom uh, call bit...
0: don't they, that's the whole point yeah. is that the, the, the film takes place within an hour's zoom call so, yeah. so
1: I, I just thought it was uh, yeah really good choice and um, the editing's done really well and um, basically it's always from the viewpoint of somebody watching the zoom call so it never changes from that so all the different cameras turn off and on depending on what's happening and yeah it's just yeah, really, really good. And I, I I just sat there and enjoyed the whole thing from uh, beginning to end. And, you know, when people were saying, I you know what can I watch, what's good at this time of year, and people are kind of bored with uh, the sort of horror movies of stalkers and things like that, I just thought this was done. Um, really well, yeah. And uh, I look forward to seeing um, more work from this the director Rob Savage. Um, he's got awards for doing short stories and uh, commercials and things. So he's been around for a few years, but uh, I think this is probably one of his biggest hits. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does next.
0: Yeah, I agree. I really like the use of like what he did with Zoom, with um, using using things like Zoom backgrounds and and mm-hmm. things like that, and some of the features that you can get on on a on a Zoom call. that just it works so well. And like, again, like you said, I use of phones and stuff like that the way. It, some Sometimes they flick over to the phone to try and show something that's going on to their friends. And mm. I mean, there's a few bits in there, which are a little bit immersion breaking. Like, why would you be carrying your laptop around pointing it towards the noise? <laughs> that kind of thing. That's yeah, yeah. solely for the purpose of the viewer at home, but yeah. it, it's not to yeah. the point where it's, like, it ruins anything.
1: No. No, nah, Agreed. Yeah. There's... It's really hard not to go into too much detail about what happens to people because it, it, it'll ruin it. So that's why, like you said, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to give too much away. But this
0: is like, I, I, I'm really affected by these types of horrors. Um, I know that they got a bit stupid as they went on, but like, say, like, Paranormal Activity, mm. even though there's large parts of it where nothing's happening, mm. it's the fact that it looks real and you are constantly yeah. watching, your eyes are flickering around the screen going, waiting for yeah. something to move and something to happen. And because it's done on a camera and it's done over the Zoom call, it feels real. It mm. it feels like you're watching something real rather than it being like a big budgeted horror film. And they always really do it for me, like those kind of horror films, something that feels like this is something I could be watching that's happening. Just like, that's why I think it works really well, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And again,
1: it's it's an hour long, and it's brutal at times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like let's not put that lightly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. It yeah, like it, I just yeah, I'm just thinking about some of the stuff that actually does with it now. I've just thought about it, and it's it's really clever. It is really clever. So you
2: should def- people should definitely check it out. I've done I've done films there as before. Wasn't the one like Unfriended or something like that, which is all done over like a Skype call or a Facebook? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I Chat think that was the something. first
1: one to use that kind of. Uh, yeah, I think the whole thing was done that way as well. Like this yeah. one, this doesn't but break I, the immersion of the call. Cool.
2: I think this
0: is so much better than them. I've, right. I've seen all them ones, but I think this one's um, this one's better. Uh, so
1: my yeah, sorry to use the yeah
0: myself back to me um, from a horror game from myself to a horror film. Um, I've been watching a horror film that came out on Netflix this last couple of weeks called His
1: House. Oh, yeah, I've put that in my list to watch.
0: Yeah, so uh, this is a horror thriller film. It tells the story of uh, a refugee couple uh, fleeing from South Sudan, uh, struggling to adjust to their new life in an English town while dealing with what seems like a spirit in their new home. Uh, What I really like about this is... Firstly it's a nice slow burn, like just the the situate like you kinda get a glimpse of the situation of them travelling across the ocean and the setup and then this out of place, you know, they're put in this into a refugee centre and then they're moved into this house and it just slowly builds up. Um they start to hear like noises in the house, little creaks, little things and it, it, at first, it seems like something's going on, but then he'll reach somewhere and it's just a bird. Because like the house that they're in is like absolute shittle, to be honest, what they're put in. Um, but then it the noises start to ramp up and the horror starts to ramp up. It's just, it's a really heartbreaking film because um, it's set in a very real situation. Um, people fleeing one. I've
1: watched the trailer for this. Do you think it sells it the wrong way then, by the way you just mentioned that? Uh,
0: no, uh, because it does ramp up to those bits that you see in the trailer. I think it's, it, yes, it might take a little bit of time to get there, but that slow burn's kind of worth it.
1: Um, oh, I no problem with it, that. Because like it shows
0: like these, uh, this couple, um, they don't even know where they are. They're just taken to a house, put there, given... This is how much money you'll get a week. And like, she's scared to go out. She tries to go out at one point and she just, she's met with hostility from local uh, youths and things like that. So it, it, she she starts to wander around the estate and the estate feels like a maze. So it's not just horror, like in the sense of um, spooky things going on and noises mm. and, and horror figures. It's this feeling of not knowing where they are. She feels like she's trapped. She's in a maze like the sequence feels like she's in a maze, but yeah, it does eventually start to kind of bring those more traditional horror elements into it. But uh, like I said, it's so it's people fleeing from war-torn countries, they're packed in boats, losing their friends and families while they're fleeing. Uh, And then again, like having to live in this country, risking their lives, fighting for a freedom and a better life, but not really knowing how to, the best way to go about it. Um, The movie Is just a massive metaphor, sorry, about fighting inner demons and grief and guilt. Uh, As the film goes along, you start to understand why they're seeing this, which essentially is what they call it and the reason behind it. This is at the beginning of the film. It's basically when they fled the country, their daughter's killed and the boat tips over and they lose their daughter so it's all about that manifestation of guilt to do with that uh, it's a very similar to the way the babadook took grief and anxiety and manifested it mm. into a more traditional horror and there's another film um, Iranian film called under the shadow which i wasn't i didn't particularly like very much but i appreciate what it was trying to do and again yeah, it uses the fear of the iran raq war to create traditional horror elements elements on top of the actual horror of what's happening to them in real life so yeah um you know this relies on the traditional scary imagery and jump scares but i think the way it's done it alongside the performances and it being set in that kind of real life thing that's happening right now as well just it's really excellent really good film it's definitely worth like checking out
1: it's weird i didn't get that from the trailer really at all I just got the impression it was like a, a normal sort of horror kind of thing. You know, it's just strange that, I think that you sold it to me even more in the way that you've explained how... Yeah, background I think it, it yeah? is
0: misleading, the trailer. The, like you said, the trailer kind of sees it as a... This is a... People move into a house and there's an evil spirit yeah. spirit in the house. Mm. But it isn't that at all. There is this evil manifesting itself around this couple. But the reason is it around it is because of what they've gone through more than it's just oh, nice. been a a ghost.
1: Yeah, I know I'll definitely be watching it. So I added it to my list.
2: Yes. Yeah, so it sounds very joyful and uplifting to watch on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite family. hard. It is quite, it is a
0: quite a hard film to, to, to watch because, um, it's steeped in reality behind all the horror stuff. So, right. So hopefully gadget, what you're going to talk about with might uh, uplift us a bit more
2: (laughs) well yes yes because because my god you 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 two enjoy some miserable things uh i'm going to talk about something that's brought me pure joy pure pure absolute unadulterated joy this week because as the rest of us have been doing you know we've needed things to distract us from from america's who's the best old man competition um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this week I finally got my hands on a VR headset I bought an Oculus Quest 2 And oh my god, it has brought me So much joy like, yes. Stiggy
1: Have you seen his video yet? Um, no <laughs> You have to watch Giggly Gadget <laughs> There he is
2: Look at the last he's, one, he's so
1: big He's pretty fucking big He killed the drone <laughs> <laughs> Alex,
2: cut yeah. Okay. Oh yes, playing the Half Life. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the games. Where I got Half Life Alex. Uh, I amazing. got I got a Beat Saber, and yeah, I make no bones the fact I giggled like a fucking idiot throughout the, my oh, entire yeah. time playing um, Half Life Alex. Obviously, I haven't finished it. I'm only in, I, I've put about two hours into it, and to be fair, I did an hour, and then I did it again on stream. But um, yeah, Half Life Alex took my breath away. Honestly, it was just one of the most incredible gaming experiences I've ever had. I mean, Half-Life is incredible anyway, both the original and Half-Life 2. But it's, it's hard to describe You kind of need to play VR for yourself at some point. If, yeah. someone, someone you know must have a headset. Go and borrow it for five minutes. Mm. Because you can watch all the videos in the world on VR games um, and you know watch someone struggle through something or watch someone giggle like an idiot at it. But until you actually put the headset on and you actually see it for yourself it's indescribable because the flat image that you'll watch on youtube or on twitch yeah you can see the head moving around and everything like that but you don't get the depth which is the whole point of vr and like when i first put on uh, half-life alex you know i'm wrestling with the fact that i've got this piece of plastic on my face i'm tethered to my computer i've got big headphones on top you know it's an uncomfortable way to play a game but then the screen opens up and like that opening shot when you're on that balcony and you look over city 17 and you like I just kind of stopped and looked for a minute. And because you're sitting on the balcony right in front of you, a railing, and the first thing I did was try to put my hand on it. And obviously it's not yeah. there. <laughs> it's it's the, the most surreal thing in the world. Um, but it's also, your brain knows that it's not real, what you're looking at, but it feels real. Mm. And especially with Half-Life Alex as well, there is, um, like when you speak to Russell, um, the way Russell's character is designed is it very to avoid uncanny valley? He looks unrealistic. Like his facial features don't look real when you look at a picture of him. But when you're in the game, he looks real. Like you think you could reach out and touch him. It's it's so strange. In fact, there was one point during the stream, very early on the stream, I had a technical issue, uh, so I had to take my headset off to like sort it out with my PC. I went to put my, my the two touch controllers down on a table in the game that didn't exist. That's
1: right. Yeah, I'm be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: just like it's that convincing there's a couple coaches i've been playing i've, I've got like put my hand on somebody to rest on something it's just like no that's not there or i've turned around and there's like a pillar next to me i was like oh jesus no no it's not real it's not there but
1: i think there was a scene where um i think it's a ship took off over you and in the video we can just see it taking off and it just looks like in every other game the ship's taking off and going above you but for you you're seeing that, like you say, the depth of vision. So it just looks absolutely massive, flying yeah. across over your head, and that's what you can't get across in videos at all.
2: No, like the the, the bit where I got the most giggly was um, uh, you're you walking through a sequence, and this giant kind of tripod walker thing climbs over a building, and it the foot lands right next to you, and yeah, in person when you're in VR, it it's so massive, like it's an in- comprehensible sized machine mm. and it's so intimidating or there's shortly after that you drop down into a lift and you open the doors and there's a load of Combine soldiers out front oh, now, that's right yeah yeah now <laughs> when you play Half-Life His hands do that yeah do that that. I did that as well. Yeah. well but when you play Half-Life 2 like the Combine soldiers they mean nothing they're cannon fodder when you open a door and one puts a gun in your face in vr you put your hands up because it's shit scary and then you get the most awful one is when, the, is when the guy the guy then walks over and like jabs you in the side with a shock stick to arrest you and it's like both t- i've done that sequence twice both times i've curled up inside myself as if i am about to be hit so when i uh, i
0: did that bit um I, I for listeners out there as well i got a vr headset this week my friends lent me one um but my PC doesn't really run Alex very well, so I'm getting some new RAM to upgrade it. But it, so it was kind of jittery and not kind of putting everything in the right position. So when he went to jab me, he did it right in my face. <laughs> so I, I didn't get it in the stomach, like the stick and the thing just went boom right in my eyes like that. And I was just like, Ooh, ow. But yeah, Christ. but I've I've had to stop playing it unfortunately because uh, my machine, my PC is struggling a little bit. So as soon as I get this new RAM and it and it runs better, I will. Uh, he heading straight back in there.
2: Yeah, the um the head crab zombies are, are awful. They're genuinely terrible to, to fight against. In fact, there's one point again in the video um where one gets the drop on us. Like I could, I was fighting the other ones. I didn't see where he was, and he stands up, and I'm like shit, and I point, put my gun up, and I press the unload button. And the clip falls out the bottom of the gun like some bad comedy <laughs> action film, and I'm like,
1: I haven't seen that bit. I'll have to check yeah. that out. The- the-
2: yeah, the- <laughs> there's this like thirty second moment where I'm like, I'm like, the trigger's clicking, and then I look at it, and then I tri- click the trigger. Like, oh, shit, reload. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> It's interesting
1: you didn't use that clip to advertise it. It is. You did. Did you? Yeah, it's on. I have not seen that. I was going to say. I
2: thought you kept that hidden. No, no. I fully um, own up to to my fuck ups and games. Uh, But BeatSaver is the one I'm putting the most time into. BeatSaver is amazing. It's Mm -hmm. so much fun. Um,
1: Hard work. Yeah, yeah. oh,
2: absolutely. I'm using it as an exercise tool. If you haven't. Encountered VR before. Beat Saber is Guitar Hero with lightsabers. That's the best way to describe it. You're stood in front of it, in front of this track thing. You've got a lightsaber in each hand, and boxes are flying at your face, and you just
1: smash them to the rhythm. Um, I think imagine the meeting when they dropped that as the uh, the idea for the game. Yeah. I've got an idea for a game, right? It's Guitar Hero, but with lightsabers. Someone's gone. You've been smoking way too much. No, <laughs> I think I think that you went literally sold.
2: Don't. Yeah, it's, 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 it's that Rick and Morty moment. You son of a bitch, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's a simple concept, but I do think it's actually the perfect game. It's so like good. When you, good for me. When you play really through good. the, so it's got a list of about twenty five songs that come with it, which are custom made for it. So like, if I wanted to stream it, I could stream it. and We wouldn't get copyrighted. Um, but it has a career mode which goes through and it basically it amps up the difficulty gradually. Getting you used to it to the point I'm I'm actually stuck in the campaign mode now because it's wanting me to like get huge combos and like ridiculous scores. It's just like I'm not good enough for the game yet. Um but because I've got it on the on the Oculus Quest, so I've got the PC version as opposed to like the PSVR version, we can do custom songs on it. Like I've modded it to enable custom songs. And I can tell you, playing some fucking pop songs is so much fun on it. Like the the two songs that I've loaded onto it that um I enjoy the most are uh Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. Which was an indie pop banger a few years ago. And you'll not believe this one. Dolly Parton. (laughs) Someone has has done a track for the, and I'll, I'll, I'll play a little bit of the audio on the pod here. Um someone has done a a track for the uh Dumpling remix of Jolene. please, please don't
1: take him just coach you.
2: Which is basically it's like a trance remix of Julie.
1: Oh, I was gonna say, I was, I, I, I was picturing like or hearing nine to five in my head. No, like, it, <laughs> I'm not quite so sure how that would work.
2: Yeah, but it's it's an absolute banger, and it's so good. But the way, the person who's written the track uh, in Beat Saber has done it in such a fun way that it's a it's a proper workout. I mm. I, I did it I did it um, for an hour today, and my Apple Watch picked it up as me doing a three mile run. Like, that's how intense it was. Um, I need to my do this p- instead of running. <laughs> yeah. My only problem with the custom tracks is I love rock and metal music, and rock and metal does not translate well into it. You either mm. get people who've done tracks that are expert or expert plus, which I'm nowhere near good enough to do yet, or the, just the, the way rock music works just doesn't seem to jive with a, a game like this. It's like it definitely more geared up to four on the floor kind of pop, dance, indie music but some of the tracks I've found are really, really good. Um, people like uh, Caravan Palace, a couple of their songs I've got on there, they're absolutely fantastic. Um, Weird Al Yankovic, I've got um, his his re- his version of American Pie where he, he rewrote the lyrics to tell the story of Star Wars Episode One. Uh, that, <laughs> that works really well in Beat Saber, and I have no idea why, and I love it. But this thing has just brought me so much joy, and it's like basically when I finish work now, I do an hour of Beat Saber, and that's like a really good workout for me. And um, it's really helped. Drum and
1: bass would work in that. Drum and like bass would work. I've got. Um, Might be too fast, I guess.
2: Uh, Propane nightmares by uh, Pendulum. I've got that in there. No, I that think the, I
0: think the originals like tracks, and I've got some drum and bass in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I yeah.
2: Mean, th- th- there's some rock influences in the original tracks. Yeah. To be fair, a lot of the original songs are really, really good. Like, yeah. I wouldn't normally listen to like dance music or drum and bass mm. and that, but I do like yeah. some of the songs. They're really, really good. Not Angel Eyes. Angel Eyes is six minutes of death.
0: I that think one I'll, nearly killed me I think I'm alright at that one there's a couple that I've experted and I can't remember which one they are now um, there's only two of them I've ever done
2: I, I, I downloaded one metal song which I, I will, it's on Expert Plus and I will get there one day but it was the first time I encountered the one bullshit that this game has which is the 360 mode which is where the boxes come at you in all directions oh Ooh, no, no in front of you behind you to your sides and nope, nope, yeah nope. i was playing and it was expert plus anyway and i just thought i'll see how far I can get i was expecting 10 seconds i made it to 17 seconds <laughs> um, but like start start off as it as it as, as it's coming in and then it's just like on, that's to, to the right no 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 why am i still going to the right i'm still going to the right no 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 and you're just kind of going around in a circle until i failed
1: you probably need some space around you as well to do that
2: actually not that much as long as you mm. as long as you can stand in front of you and like hold your hands up like about a foot in front of you, that's all the space you need. Like I haven't whacked it I mean, I do VR in this room that I'm sat in right now, which is small, to say the least. It's the box room in my house. Um I haven't hurt myself, I haven't whacked anything, I haven't smashed anything. Um it works out. I've trip. the only time I've nearly had an injury doing it is when I was playing Alex and I got twisted up in the cable connected to my PC. Um, but apparently with the Quest, there is a way to do it wirelessly, which I'm going to research for the next time I stream VR, because that would make life infinitely easier.
0: Yeah, mine's got a cable on mine, so you've got to be a bit uh, wary of yeah. where your
2: feet are.
1: But, uh, for, yeah, I'd f- probably get carried away trying to do backflips like a Jedi. <laughs>
2: <laughs> VR's great, though, isn't it? It is. The one th- The one thing that I don't like about VR, and I'll only touch on this one because of the content that we provide, VR porn is terrifying. <laughs> in the pure name of science, I did look at it, and oh my god, it's horrific in so many ways, shapes, and forms. Because if you watch a, if you watch a video in VR, so this also counts for YouTube YouTube VR. Generally, what you've got is a kind of very stretched out video with some element of depth to it. It's it's done with like a usually like a three D camera with an extra wide field of view. Yeah. Um the problem is when you do VR porn is perspective because when you're sat there and I'm not going to go into this but basically the one I watched the women were about 18 foot tall and right in your face like closer in your face snooze, than you... yeah, like closer in your face than if you were actually having sex
1: it's really horrific I'm just... probably how Warwick Davis sees them <laughs> I like that it's
2: just oh my it's it's, it's really weird and like the, the video i mean to be fair the video i watched was a it was like a trailer for like a horror uh like a halloween porn thing so because it was a trailer there's obviously cuts of multiple scenes so when the video cuts and something else happens it like jumps right up in front of you and you're just like oh it's like no, oh, no 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 none of this is attractive in the slightest no <laughs> no thank you and <laughs> No, no, thank you, Miss. Can you please put your top back on now? I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> just, if you get a, relaxed, really a weird just thing don't try it. It's just not worth it. That was
0: uh, for you, for you listeners. In the absence of, of of oodles, that was the smut for this week. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> that was the smut, and it was still rather restrained.
1: What's talking about? I can't imagine even doing what you do if you're watching porn <laughs> with. All that on your head as well. It must be one of the strangest <laughs> things to do, do, you know what Especially I mean? Especially the concept
0: of someone walking in because you can't see. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey,
2: the headset off and your wife's there. Hello darling.
0: Yeah. No, it just doesn't appeal at all.
2: Yeah. But no, but I,
0: I would I would definitely recommend people checking out VR um porn. No. <laughs> Biggie. Yeah. Um, no, if you, yeah. if you can afford a VR headset, uh, it's it it's like nothing else I've experienced. I remember that first time I Put it on the PlayStation One, and you get, mm. you put and you in. A, I just went on the demo disc, and your inner in a room, yeah, I've, I've and and you that. just look over, and these these balls, sorry, they go over your head. Um, we're not on porn again here. Uh, these <laughs> <laughs> these orbs shoot across at you, and shoot across your head, and and you and you follow That's them, funny. and it's weird because when you're playing a game normally, you're on the TV. Orbs shoot over your head. Your character has you have to turn around with your stick to look behind you. Mm. Whereas this? You just spin around and it's like it, it's amazing. Like I, I yeah. like the same feeling you got when you went into half life Alex, I was like that. I was looking over the balcony. I was picking things up. I was trying to throw them at people to, on the street to see if they reacted. And yeah, Alex is incredible for the react for the um interaction. Picking pens up, being able to write on the the window, and yeah, stuff that was, like yeah, that. So much so work that's gone into clever. It. It's, yeah, it's um
2: well, Alex is. I think the first big budget game that's made with VR mm-hmm. in mind. Not the first big budget game with VR, but a lot of times VR is added to a game. Like Resident Evil Seven was a big PSVR seller, but the game wasn't designed with VR in mind. It just happened to be a first-person game that they put VR into.
0: Yeah, you use a controller and, for that. You don't use the specific like hand controllers. Like yeah, exactly. And it, it,
2: it, there are some things that it can't account for, like like with Resident Evil Seven. Like when you go into an in-game cutscene, there's like a cut. Especially if the characters are moving you around, like if one of the characters grabs you and throws you, that's cut out in the VR version mm. because that would make people throw up. Um,
1: oh, that that reminds me—the way you were traversing and watching you play Alex—that really, to me, looked wrong. The, the way that you had to put your feet. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I I felt I mean, you should be walking, but I think you said, "Is that still an option, or it, is it, it?"
2: Yeah, it's it's an option. I tried, but I tried both when I first put it on. Um, the thing is when you're walking smoothly with VR, it does it can make you feel sick, like because your brain's interpreting you're moving, but it knows your body isn't
1: um, mm.
2: and it made me feel sick. so the teleport mm. is definitely the option for me to move oh, okay. um, but if you want to do it smooth, you can um, or at least you can try it and if it, if, you're not, if it doesn't make you feel sick, then go for it. Um, there was one game I tried called Echo VR, um, which is a <laughs> it's a zero g sports game. In VR, and as soon I went into the trailer and like it literally as soon as it like lets you float forward, I was like, really? nope, I'm gonna be sick. <laughs> it's like that's, that's not happening. Yeah, well, um, yeah, but uh, it's. I mean, the, the Oculus Quest is like it's only a little bit more expensive than a PSVR. It's completely wireless. I would really recommend one. I know there's a lot of crapper, and that you have to sign in with your Facebook account on it. And to be honest, mm. I, that put me off at first. But then I thought, oh, fuck it, Mark Zuckerberg's got everything on me. I don't really give a shit. I want a new yeah. toy to play with. It's I think it's the genuine next gen gaming. Like if we get more people making big games like Alex designed for VR specifically, it's the future. It's absolutely the future. I I adore it. And
1: I still think I've not used the Oculus, but I mean I've played the uh, I've used my friend's uh, PSVR and I think it's still really bulky and it's as comfy as it can be at the moment, but I guess we're still a long way off from So playing hours and hours in a game because i I think it's still not quite there it's still yeah i get that cumbersome
0: my kids played with some of it as well absolutely loved it they played that um did you play any of the demo stuff gadget uh just play that little demo with the robot on oculus on on the it's free it's one of the little demo ones like
2: yeah yeah i've I've done that so that's the kind of the the Mm. the training that you get for it isn't it
1: psvr (laughs) <laughs> no, look at that! Yeah, for, yeah. It's just... for,
2: for, for the for the benefit of the listeners, Stig's just held up his PSVR, and it's just a rat's nest of wires. <laughs> um, and to be and to be fair, the the, the original Oculus, which, which is what Stig's lending, is not too far off that because you've got the big like umbilical yeah. cable to the PC, and then you've got the base stations as well. Uh, the PSVR relies on having a PS camera, whereas with one I've got. Um, it's basically inside-out VR, so the headset has the cameras on it, and it just scans your room as you're playing.
1: Mm.
2: So you don't need any wires. The only wire that comes with it is a charging cable, which is great. It's incredible, really. Yeah, think about it?
0: setting up the sensors was a nightmare. Like I said, when I played Alex, it just thought I was like half my height. So yeah. I like, came to doorknobs, and they were like in my eye line, and and then like so I got shocked in the face because <laughs> of
1: it. It's like the Warwick <laughs> Davis edition. Yeah.
2: Hey, Sorry, Warwick title.
1: Davis, if you listen to this, friend of the show,
2: <laughs> the Warwick Davis edition. Um, but yeah, I would really, really, really talk of getting VR. And like I said, with the, I mean, the, I paid three hundred pounds for the Quest two, and that's an out, given what it is. Beat Saber was twenty quid. Alex was forty five because I missed the sale on it. Um, it's gonna, really, really. I'm going to get you on that it. horror game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I am not playing Phasmophobia with you. Fuck that for a game of laughs.
1: Oh, I haven't seen this. this uh... I
2: played what, maybe about 20 minutes
0: to something like that, half an hour? Yes,
2: and you nearly lost your shit in it.
0: I was, I I, I broke it because there's a part in it where you have to leave a book out for the ghost to write in it. I think that's how you progress the level. And I put the book down and it like fell through the scenery, so it got stuck. (laughs) But like for the most part of it, I was just wandering around this house with my torch, freaking out at the noises. The ghost kept turning the fucking light switches off on me. Like, I'd walk out of a room, I'd just hear, click, turn around the lights, so it got off again, I was like, and then your your little ghost tracker, be going, beep 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 beep, 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 And I couldn't see it, and every now and again, it'd just be like, ah in your ear, and I was just like,
1: Oh, like, my God. Yeah,
2: and, and, and while Stig was doing this, he was testing his streaming ability on Discord, and I was sat watching, laughing
0: at it. <laughs> it was, um, I really want to do it again, but uh i want to... I watched a friend do it and uh i saw the ghost pop up and he was just like "God oh, fucking hell like... <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah Theo, get it really yes. just get it just just get it and to to a point put off getting the next gen of consoles and get vr for a while because while there aren't any new games out for this is a gen it's the first time i've had a genuinely new experience gaming for a very long time like games get prettier controls get tighter, whatever but this is like this is this is like going from a mega drive to a ps1 it's like that shift that it's like sounds cheesy that extra dimension that you get to it but it's like it's that bigger shift where you go from 2d sprites to 3d graphics yeah this is the that next shift and it's taken 20 odd years to get here but fuck me it's good
0: yeah i can't (laughs) wait to see like how this evolves to be honest so i think it's just gonna Mm. if they carry on with that i think it's just it's gonna be epic really i think it's gonna be great
2: yeah absolutely (laughs)
0: Right, so now we've convinced everyone to buy VI headsets, uh, we'll move on to Biggie's last item. What have you got for us?
1: Uh, so something completely different. Um, I ended up picking up a, a digital graphic novel and I've been reading The Authority. Um, if no one knows what it is, it was written by Warren Ellis, a British comic book writer who's uh, quite renowned... In uh, the world of uh, comics, he's written uh, Transmetropolitan. Um, he's read the uh, sorry, he's written the books Red. Uh, he's done a few um, series with Marvel and DC, including um, X Men, Hellblazer, and such forth. But uh, the Authority is a real oddity. I'd heard a lot about it, um, being a fan of comic books, but never got round to a reading it, or I've never read the series where it evolved from, which was called Stormwatch. I'm not going to go too much into them, they're just a group of superheroes in a sort of DC universe, but um, The Authority is a a different bag altogether. Um, It's basically, it was written in 1999, and it's about a team of superheroes who just get the job done, but by any means necessary. Now, the lineup consisted of um, a mixture of characters. So, um, because he's British, he's got British superheroes in there. There's a character called Jenny Sparks, a British woman who can generate electricity. You've got a weird character called Jack Hawksmore, who is psychically bonded to cities in order to communicate with them and receive powers from them. Yep, I can see Gadget's face frowning here. There's a character called Swift, a Tibetan woman who's possessed wings and sharp talons. Then you have a character called Apollo, who is a bioengineered Superman pastiche. And then finally, sorry, you've got Midnighter, who's also by an engineer, but he's kind of like a Batman pastiche who possesses the ability to foresee his opponent's moves in combat. So he already knows how the fight's going to go. Handy. Before he fights them. And then finally, the final two is the engineer, which is a scientist, and she's replaced her blood with nine pints of nanotechnology and create solid objects with it. And finally, we have the Doctor, who... The only way I can describe this character is almost like... It's a bit like Doctor Who, where there's been previous Doctors. Um, He's a touch drug addict and shaman who's possessed by the combined powers of all the hundreds of shamans who came before him. And that is basically it. And these people just take on the most surreal enemies... It's the the series I've read is between books one and twelve, so there's more to read which I haven't got round to yet. But um, the the three main sort of plots of the the series is the first one is about um, a villain who they apparently comes from the Stormwatch universe, but he ends up creating um, super soldiers who decide to take on the world, and they actually destroy Moscow and London as part of the story. So literally obliterate the city and kill thousands and millions of people it's just insane story then they go on to the second story which is where um, there's an invasion by a parallel earth um, which again (laughs) is specifically a parallel britain which is named sliding albion a reality which the character jenny is familiar with because she dealt with them back in 1920. Because she's almost a hundred years old, did... but hasn't aged since the age of 19. Why... Are you still following me? Why, why did I and find then... that so funny? The
2: idea of a parallel,
1: parallel, exactly. Earth,
2: just appear in the sky. And,
1: yep. And then finally, <laughs> the final part of the series ends with a strange creatures um, who begin building unknown structures in Africa and on the moon. Uh, which ends up prompting the uh doctor to reveal that in fact it 's the creator of earth it 's the closest thing to the concept of God that exists, and they he has returned to um his you know his original project, which is Earth to find out an unwanted infestation of yes you 've guessed it, the human race, so they end up having to defend Earth against the God that created it Wow. It's just insane storytelling, but it's done in such a brilliant way. The humour is—I know it's not obviously very popular these days for reasons I won't go into—but it's kind of the Joss Whedon kind of um, comedy that you get. So it's really well written. Right. Um, the narrative is really well done. The, the, the comedy just flows within the drama. Good quips. Um, the, the art, yeah, the quips. The artwork is excellent. Um. The carrier, which is their sort of base, is the size of a city and it travels along the bleed, which is basically what connects all the alternative universes. So it, it swims between what connects everything. And at one point it goes through the seat of telepaths, which is basically all the telepaths in the universe. All their heads create the seabed. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's out there. It's trippy. And it's brilliant. And A, I didn't know anything about Stormwatch. I went straight into this without knowing any of it. And I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. It's just really good. I don't know any background of any of the characters. I just literally jumped in and enjoyed the ride. And what a ride it is. And if you like graphic novels and want something different, pick it up.
2: Might have to look at that, actually. That just sounds fucking mental.
1: I've, it's brilliant and that's so what well that's, that's
2: what the rare occasion to read comic books that's what i look for fucking mental it sounds it sounds like a mix between like the boys and watchmen on acid
1: yeah it's it is, <laughs> it's just got this kind of yeah you know there's a group of superheroes and they've got you know the midnight kind of looks like a version of batman he's got this sort of black get up but um yeah and i'm oh, sorry also it, it it covers all different sort of subject matter in the background as well so it's got you know guilt it's got Sexuality—it's got a bit of religion. It's got—you know—it—it—it it, it covers sort of what we become commonly um, now have in the world where people there's a lot more understanding about things. They're trying to do it in the right matter as well, so it's not racist. It's not—you know—it's it, dealt with delicately, and I, I think it's—it's it's really well done. Considering it was written in '99, um, I do like Warren Ellis's work. He did a brilliant stint on the X-Men, which I loved. Uh, Trans Metropolitan uh, is also excellent. Really bonkers. Um, But, yeah, just if you're ever into comics and you want to check something out, then, yeah, I recommend this. And I'm looking forward to tracking down the the other series to see where it went. I don't think it's written by him. I'll have to find out, but uh, I enjoyed what he set up. Every time someone talks about comics, I think I'd really enjoy that.
0: And yet, for some reason, I just never got into comics. I just, I really, I really should. I need to give them a go, I think. Have you read The Watchmen? I've not read any, like, I've tried, well... I've tried with a few Batman ones. Sorry, my cat has just jumped up on my... <laughs> I
2: wasn't sure what was going on. I just saw a tail come up. I thought, what's yeah. stick doing? I'm up inside knocking my microphone. <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs>
0: go back. I um, Yeah, I've tried with a couple of Batman ones years and years ago and couldn't get on with them. But I think maybe it's because I was trying to read them off a tablet and I feel like... Where a book, I'm not too bothered I'll read on a Kindle, like a graphic novel, I would be better if I read it, like, physical.
1: Yeah, it works both ways for me. I, I can read both. Um, I mean, yes, you've got your comics, you've got your Spider-Man, the X-Men, Batman, and all that, and there are some great stories written within those universes, and then there's some really bad ones. But, I mean, it is clichéd, but The Watchman, I just cannot recommend that book enough. as a really good starting point to really get your teeth into the serious... The seriousness of writing in graphic novels because it sets that world up so good. Um, Alan Moore, is just fantastic what he's done. And that changed, in a way, how graphic novels have evolved now. We've gone from the superheroes running around in capes and the do-goodies and the baddies and all. The Watchmen, what he did with that, which again covers exactly the same subject matter, but the in-depth he went into to set up the story. And in The Watchmen, if you don't realise... It's not only illustrated. There are sections that's taken from people's diaries and newspaper cutouts. So it's actually quite a thick book. Um, It's illustrated brilliantly. There's a second story that goes on in the background, which is actually taken from a comic within that universe. So you've got the story and then there's a comic that one of the characters is reading also tells a story that's in parallel with what you're reading. Mm. And then you've got the background filled out with the newspaper clippings and the diaries and it's just brilliant. It's just, oh, I could talk for hours about The Watchmen, how good it is, and how Alan Moore really changed the way graphic novels were written. Yeah,
0: I think I might give Watchmen a go. I think my, I have a, can't get over that barrier about, from the film, and I think I need to put that aside and say, like, the film is not to do with the graphic novel. Try the graphic novel and just forget about um, what's his first um, Zack Snyder Zack Snyder yeah. Um, yeah so but yeah no I, de- I definitely really want to try some comics because some of the stories just sound right up my
1: street there's some amazing stuff I mean there's Why the Last Man which is another great story um about um, all the men in the world just die suddenly mm. no matter what they were doing in, in in one moment all around the world men die and there's only one man left And um, it's the story about him trying to reunite with his family, uh, particularly his girlfriend, because they're in separate parts of the world when this happened. And it's funny. It's interesting. um, You know, just a completely random story. Uh, DMZ is another one where there's actual civil war in America, but in present day, modern war, um, where America gets divided and split up um it's not too similar to what happened recently but um <laughs> yeah it, but actual proper war zones where things are barricaded off yeah um, that's another really well written graphic novel uh, but there's like i could go on again yeah if you ever do want to know some starting points i'll ping stuff your way yeah no Anybody i will wants to know let me know yeah
0: I'll To get some recommendations off you so just one last thing from me i won't go too long on this one um I watched this weekend, last night in fact, it was uh, AEW Full Gear. Um, AEW is All Wrestling and it was one of their pay-per-view shows last night and I sat and watched that this morning. Uh, really good. Really enjoying AEW. Um, they are uh, started up last year. They're an alternative product to WWE. Um, it's full of new faces. Um, some ex-WWE stars but other than maybe two of them, no one that was ever really massive. So the only one on there that people who don't really follow wrestling know of is Chris Jericho. Oh, right. Yeah, he's probably the only like one, you know, really big, big star there. Um,
1: a bit like myself, he must be getting on a bit, though.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, what's Jericho now, 49, I think, 50? Oh. But He's doing some of the best work of his career, funnily enough. Seems to have had a bit of a resurgence when he's gone to AEW, because he's been a... He was a WWE guy for a long time, from like 99 to Ooh. mid, like around 2015, 16. And then he went to Japan, did a few things there, and then he joined AEW to try and help them get off the ground. Uh, so, I mean, if you're into wrestling, uh, there's plenty of people in AEW that you know of, like the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, um, MJF, people like that. Um, but if you're someone who went off the boil with wrestling, or only watches WWE. I really like suggest have given them a go. Um, I know one of my friends who similar stopped watching wrestling in mid mid to late two thousands hasn't ever watched WWE in a long time. Uh, gave AEW a go and he absolutely loves it. He stays up and watches like the live show, like you know weekly show they do. <laughs> so they do a uh, weekly show which is AEW Dynamite. That's on currently it's on ITV 4, or you can get it on ITV player, and then every few months or so they'll do like a special show, kind of like WWE do, and that was last night. Uh and yeah, it's just I just really enjoyed it. It's a really good show. Um uh JR, um people might know who JR is. He's oh, yeah. yeah, he's on commentary for them. As well, so he's kind of moved over. Like when he left WWE, he was doing a few uh Japanese shows, so you know, he'd, he'd do the English commentary for the Japanese shows, and then AEW's taken him on full time. So, but it's, it's really good wrestling. Like WWE has it's quite formulaic, formulaic, like they have kind of the same structure to matches, and it gets a bit boring.
1: It, I was going to say, is it still it, the same sort of quality as it Oh, used God, to be, no, or?
0: God, no. Especially in WWE, they're, they're very much like, they, they kind of like do what the sponsors say kind of thing as well with a lot of things. So they've taken a lot of the stuff that you might have liked back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Most of that isn't there anymore. It's very PG-centric, uh, whereas AEW has kind of found that middle ground of not going too... Like R rated with their stuff, but like keep so still keeping it quite good enough for the kids, but like meaning adults can enjoy it a bit more. I think they they nail most of the storylines as well, whereas WWE tend to like pick a storyline up and then they'll just drop it like that, drop of a hat. Like they've just done a big one recently where this group has infiltrated um, the WWE, and then <laughs> they, like uh, basically it was Vince McMahon's version of Antifa. Like if you look at the way they're dressed, <laughs> the way that the way that they came in, they're all in black. They're destroying things, and this was happening right at the time of the whole Antifa thing, and and then they built them up, built them up, and then all of a sudden, literally within like a couple of weeks of them being on the main roster, they just dropped. They, they're just jobbers
2: again. They're are, just, um, they're... are AEW paying their wrestlers properly? Yep. because um, because I, I know Vince McMahon is catching a lot of shit for some really dodgy stuff right now like there was there was something where uh, aren't all isn't the WWE taking over control over all the wrestlers twitch accounts during yeah. the pandemic oh, yeah like, yeah so it's like saying oh because you belong to our wrestling roster we you we now take 50% of your profits or something like that from yeah which, you do
0: which doesn't make sense when you like inverted commas, they're independent contractors but yet the WWE somehow still own their out of WWE projects it makes yeah. no sense I don't watch WWE anymore Um, I only I've I just I only read the only way I follow up on it is I listen to a podcast who do weekly reviews on it just because I like the guys who do the podcast and nine times out of ten it's just them absolutely ragging on how
1: shit it is so, <laughs> 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 so- I just remember at some point when I was into wrestling I just remember it was almost like every other match there would be somebody else come running in and diving into oh the yeah you know, it just got, uh, at one point that was quite interesting, but then it just got, like, every match there was somebody. Yeah, they used to they used to do, to do
0: that quite a lot. Um It's, mm-hmm. it's a good get-out clause on how, how can we finish this match? I don't know. Just send someone out with a steel chair, disqualify. <laughs> descend into chaos. I mean, stuff back then, I used to love some of the stuff back then, but um I'm mm-hmm. really impressed with what AEW are doing. And yes, to answer your point, Gadget, they are trying, as far as I'm aware, with the pay gap, with the women and the men. So if you are a top female star, you'll be earning as much as the male stars. Well, that's good um, to hear.
1: Pay- oh, wow. Did they have that problem as well? Though? Oh I didn't yeah. Realize. yeah. I, I never- uh, paying
0: expenses, paying medical bills and things like that. Like that, they're, they're really, because some, one of the, one of the guys who set AEW up with is an ex employee. Right. And so he knows really like what should have been, what should be going on for these guys they're yeah. doing the, you know, the, it's a really tough job. Yeah, it's yeah. corny and it's over the top and it is, you know, essentially fake, the way, you know, the storylines run. But the stuff they're doing hurts. People get yeah. seriously injured. It takes years off their lives and to, they should be covered for medical expenses and, and travel mm. and just t- things like that, really. Because so,
2: cause I remember reading, I think, was it about China and, like, the stuff that happened to her after she had to retire from wrestling. Oh, yeah. and like like the awful awful experience that she had yeah. in her life, like trying to find a new career, trying to find a new way of living, dealing with being constantly in pain, I think, and then she had mental health problems on top of that and mm-hmm. tragically she died and it was just like that's heartbreaking because I remember when I was a kid and I when I was watching wrestling, like she was one of the biggest stars, she was one of the most recognizable people on it.
0: They aren't very good at looking after people after the fact of when they finish with them yeah it's a shame really they are hes he's not a very nice man Vince McMahon
1: have you seen that documentary that's ended up on Netflix recently Beyond the Mat
0: yes I've seen that yeah Beyond the Mat and, yeah.
1: uh, I remember when that came out it was really interesting
0: yeah that kind of just shows some of the shit that they put the bodies through and they've stopped doing some of that stuff now in all fairness to them like in, on Beyond the Mat um, you see Mick Foley take like <laughs> s- seven steel chair shots to the head yeah that could not and have been good. um his kids are in the crowd watching this match, absolutely crying their eyes out. And they've stopped that now. They're just no more steel chair shots to the head. Anytime they do one that looks like that, it's, they it's it's kind of the cover up and stuff or they, they do it so they're not actually getting a chair shot to the head. Most of them take it to the back or the <sighs> Oh, like do you remember
1: when Sky started editing that stuff out? So it just made the matches almost unwatchable because they, they cut
0: everything no, out. It was, uh, <laughs> it was insane. Uh, Channel 4, it was that that did that. Oh, yeah, I couldn't remember when, who did it. When, when remember, Channel like, 4 got some of the wrestling, they got the contract oh, to do some wow. of the wrestling and they were terrible because they used to put, um, like, pow and boink signs, like when someone got hit with a steel chair. <laughs> <laughs> like proper old Batman style stuff. And they used to take breaks in the middle of live pay-per-views. I remember once like The Rock, you know, like one of the best talkers in the business comes up to do an interview and Channel 4 went to a break and me and my brother were watching it, just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, not to not to, uh, to, to go on about wrestling loads. i just I watched AEW Full Gear, uh, their pay-per-view. I really enjoyed it. AEW is really good. Um, like I said, if... Check them out if you're someone who's dropped off wrestling but still kind of likes to drop drop in every now and again. Cool. Right. Cheers, guys. I hope that um, all you listeners um, are happy with what we've done this this week, to be honest. It was a bit of a last-minute thing that we had to change around, and uh, we asked some of you as well to throw in some of your feedback on what you've been doing. So we're kind of going to go into what is really the listener nexus more than the Inquisition Ooh. this week.
2: The um, yeah, lots of you got in touch with us. It's been re- it's really good. So we have quite a, fi- a fair bit to get through. So we're going to go through with a fair clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting off with Ben Ro- Ben Monroe Ben Blaster X. Uh, been watching the new season of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Picks up right where the last season ended. More spaghetti Western style sci fi action with buckets of charm and loads of creativity. Free of the Skywalker chain, this corner of Star Wars just thrives. I still haven't seen the first season of The Mandalorian. I still I really need to watch it. How? This. How? I
1: don't know. I'm doing what Stiggy's doing. I'm waiting until they finish yes. season two and then watching it.
2: The only problem there is
0: I'm terrified of spoilers because I did this with season. Well, actually, no, we got it late here, didn't we, in the UK? Yeah. Yeah, we did. So yeah. all the spoilers about the the who the child was kind of got mm. spoiled straight away, but I, I'm I'm just going to wait till it's all out and binge it all. So
2: I think I'll probably do that when season two's out, and I'll just go right. Okay, I need an afternoon of something to watch. A little yeah. bit like I did with their "What We Do in the Shadows." It was just
0: yeah.
1: like- in all honesty, like um, we said before, it's just if you were disappointed with what happened with the Star Wars movies, this definitely picks up the gauntlet. It really does. Yeah. Would you was- like
0: it? I think he would actually. You know, to be honest, <laughs> I generally, I generally think I think it's free of all the the stuff that it doesn't like um mm. and it's kind of got that uh like ben says spaghetti western style to it in places it's got an it's got a storyline running through it but also a kind of episode of the week thing as well every now yes. and again so okay so yeah um i'd be interested i'd be interested to see what he uh yeah what he thought if he's seen it or whether um he's never going to give it a go okay
2: a uh, little lolly two scoops, a little lolly two one on Twitter. I've been watching Shits Creek, and I'm obsessed. A quick twenty-minute show full of brilliant humor and flawed characters you will love. It swiftly became one of my fave shows. Also, so quotable. Mm-hmm. I keep yep. meaning to watch this. I'll it's on my list it. on Netflix, and uh, mm, it's next for us once we finish Modern Family. <laughs> You'll be going for a long time on Modern oh, Family. Oh yeah, really we're only on show. season. We're only on season four. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, you've got. Uh, yeah,
1: I love that show. Seven
2: though. more to go, I think. It's eleven mm-hmm. seasons of it. Uh, The Real rider at Ryder underscore 555. He's also been enjoying season two of The Mandalorian and he watched the film Richard Jewell recently, which was very good. Sam Rockwell being absolute class as per. I mean, Sam Rockwell hasn't done a bad thing. He's been in bad films, but he's never been bad in it. Um, I've not seen that. Is Richard Jewell that one about the man who was falsely accused of a a terrorist attack or something? Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I heard good things on that. Uh, Charlie Ridgewell. uh, Charlie uh, Ridgely. Ridgey. Ridgey. Ridgey on um, on Twitter. Uh, I recently watched His House, a new Netflix original film about two asylum seekers who go through the trauma on the way to the UK. Stig, this is sounding rather familiar. Uh-huh. Um, and as part of them staying in the UK is to stay inside their new house. The film has genuine, genuine emotional depth and when something strange starts happening in the house it's genuinely upsetting. It's a psychological thriller horror that is worth your time at only 93 minutes. It covers a lot, how you carry grief with you, how it can... Uh, how it can resist to stay away and how starting a new life is not easy. Highly recommended. I also watched Assassination Nation. That's a hell of a thing. Two words to put together. Uh, a film that I thought was smarter than it actually was. Some genuinely brilliant set pieces with a fantastic house raid moment, plenty of style on show, if maybe a little too much at times. A film that perhaps could have done with a bit of restraint and some more substance.
0: Not seeing it. But I agree with his thoughts on his house. So Yeah, yeah, he,
2: yeah. it seems to have backed up your entire argument on his house. <laughs> um, Kurt Lewin, uh, uh, at angry underscore Kurt. This week I watched Parasite and a few episodes of Designated Survivor on the pod's recommendation. But I've also been playing through Mark of the Ninja Remastered on Switch, an excellent stealth puzzle game that plays out like a 2D version of the Predator sections from the Arkham games. I've got Mark of the Ninja. I need to play it at some point. It's supposed to be excellent. Will Marley, at underscore Marlu, uh, I got the Godzilla Criterion box set a couple of weeks ago and have been wow. gleefully devouring them. Never realised how much these daft, sincere, enthusiastic movies. Also watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for the first time in 15 years. Oh, Useful, yes. confident filmmaking. I love Crouching Tiger, Hidden
1: Dragon. Thank you, Will. I love that movie. I also bought the soundtrack. because uh, Is it uh, Yo-Yo Ma? Yeah,
2: Yo-Yo Ma's on it.
1: Yeah, Haunting. Just, yeah, love that soundtrack. Yeah.
2: And, obviously, those classic Godzilla films, they're just mad.
0: I'd love to watch them. Like, I think I need to give them a go one day. I've only seen <laughs> the two recent ones and the Roland Emmerich one, so not oh, really. Not that, that Roland
2: Emmerich one was so bad. They're I loved all it, bad. I loved, it, I loved it as a kid, but it was so bad. I watched the uh, first of the, the new two, um, the one with Brian Cranston in it. Good yeah. God, that was dreadful. Yeah,
0: sequel's not any better. really awful
2: film
1: in fact the trailer made it look ten times better than uh, it, anything in the movie yeah up. with that
2: halo
0: drop they did in there, like yeah. going over Godzilla and yeah. stuff and Godzilla's in the film for like twelve minutes it's like I don't I, mean, I want to see a Godzilla film not a fucking draft like you know whatever the hell this is and then twelve minutes of Godzilla and then they tried to do that with the sequel ramping it up bringing all the monsters and that was still just a shit <laughs> Yeah. But I'm still actually looking forward to if the to Godzilla vs. King Kong, and I'll still probably watch that.
2: Are they still making that?
0: <laughs> Apparently, yeah. They've set it all up to do it. I don't know how, because if Kong Skull Island...
1: Depends if Warwick Davis is available. Oh, Sorry, I'm not I'm going to stop talking.
0: <laughs> Kong Skull <School> Island. <laughs> Kong is a lot smaller than Godzilla.
2: Yeah, like Godzilla's like enormous. He's like this giant sea creature in, in those yeah, films, isn't he? He's like the size of a building.
0: Yes, but Kong isn't, so I don't know how they're going to do this. So, It'd be interesting to see anyway.
2: Uh, Tig on our Discord says I'm listening to Dune and playing Hades. Both excellent. I've also started watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia early on season three. I don't know why, but I expected something more sophisticated. I was completely wrong. Those guys are human trash bags. It's great. You should never expect sophistication from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
0: They, they are the worst people on TV, but yeah, so totally. I think, only seconded by the guys from Trailer Park Boys. I've been watching yeah. that, and they are they're some pretty horrendous people, but the, the people on Always Sunny are just, oh, they, they are the worst. The worst people, but it's you, hilarious. Yeah.
2: My only problem with the uh, over sunny in Philadelphia is I think it went on too long. I think they should have stopped at maybe season nine or 10.
0: Oh, I don't know. Oh, wow,
1: has it gone on that long? I didn't realize uh, some, some of the new episodes seasons.
2: have been
0: great. Did you watch the season finale of the recent episode?
2: Um, so not the most recent season, but I watched the finale of um, season 14, no, season 13, which is the one where uh, where Mac comes out to his dad. Oh, that one, yeah, that's that's yeah. incredible. That that is incredible, and that, that 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 happened. That episode came out around about the time that I, that I came out to my parents. Yeah, and that was quite an emotional one for me. I will concede that is excellent. Yes, uh, the only about half that season I enjoyed though, but kind of up to season nine and ten. Oh my god, one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and legitimately because they are dreadful, awful people, and <laughs> every, but everything that they do, they fail at. Yeah, it's like, like I know a lot of people compare it to a modern day Seinfeld, and I think it hits the same beats. It's just grosser about it.
1: Um, yeah, I've only seen I think season one going into season two, so I've got a lot of catching up to do. But I did, I did like what I'd seen so far. There is uh,
2: there there is one episode I, I I don't want to spoil too much of it, um, but where they are, um, they're in quarantine because they think they have, like, oh or something God. like that. Oh, no. And it's, it, the episode has this wonderful deterioration as they start getting sick, and they're kind of all locked in the bathroom in the bar. And, like, there's this one point the camera just turns to Dennis, and he looks like a skeleton, like the way he's been made up. And they... Um, oh, do, do I spoil the end of that episode? No, 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 so but good. Danny DeVito
0: yeah. in that episode... Oh, yeah. ...is... Next level. It, it, uh, you do not um, see that term. ending coming, and it's like no. holy fucking shit. <laughs> and,
2: and, and, and I will say, the Christmas episode is the best Christmas episode of any TV sitcom that's ever been made. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, the the uh, it's a it's a very sunny Christmas. Oh my god, that is so dark and unhinged and. Really, really disturbing in so many different places, but it's so funny. And, um,
1: I get caught watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, so I think it's kind of the opposite to that. I guess,
2: so. <laughs> yeah. Like Brooklyn Nine Nine is like is Brooklyn Nine Nine is what you would call an adult comedy, as in it's got jokes for adults in it. Mm. Always Something in Philadelphia is a sitcom for terrible people. Like you kind of have to be a terrible person a little bit to enjoy it. <laughs> but it
1: works. Which I think <laughs> that we're all covered. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But the, the, the stuff that there's so many parodies, there's an episode where they parody um, uh, Birdman and the entire episode, about two thirds of the episode is one shot set to music. Oh, the Charlie, Charlie
0: tasks or whatever. Yeah. yeah, Char- yeah Charlie work. Charlie, yeah, Charlie work. work. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. It's, it's so good. Like just one take episode. Oh,
2: we need to do an episode on it's always sunny so in Philadelphia, I think, just because there is so much like spoilery <laughs> stuff I want to talk about or jokes I want to give away, but obviously I can't because yeah. Tig's only on season three and he hasn't got to the really good shit yet. Yeah, I need to
0: do <laughs> give me an excuse to uh, just rewatch it all as well.
2: Absolutely. Uh, okay, moving swiftly on. Uh, Cow goes moo on the Discord. Uh, he's still binge watching Voyager. Good man. Uh, waiting on a replacement PSU for my PC, so I got stuck into season five instead of gaming. Uh, I've got control lined up for when I'm back up and running. I really want to play control.
1: Yeah, I have that.
2: I'm yeah, tempted I have... to get tempted to get it on the Xbox. Um, yeah, Voyager's so good. I love Voyager. Um, we've had a couple of people off RLLMUK. Is that how you say it, uh, Stig? guess so. I just call it Rollmuck. Rollmuck. Uh, we've had a couple of people in touch off Rollmuck. Hello, Rollmuck people. Um, memories. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, they're also very wordy ones. These are going to take a while to get through. Uh, Memories, off Rollmook, has said, uh, picked up Lonely, uh, Lonely Mountain Downhill and Stories Untold, and the other day I grabbed Hades when it had a price drop. I'm enjoying Lonely Mountain, got all four mountains open, and have completed, in inverted commas, 15 of the 16 courses, to the beginner level at least. It's a fun game, quite relaxing, and the soundtrack helps make it peaceful. I have found frustration setting in at times, as the collision detection is a bit too severe."
1: S- I had the opposite of that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that game at all. I turned that off very quickly. Yeah, no, no. Got very annoyed with how that worked. But I, get, I can understand why it, people I, feel that way. I quite liked
0: it. Me. I only played like a couple of levels. Um, I was testing out um, X Card on my phone, but it's quite. I thought it was quite nice.
2: Stories Untold. Uh, sorry, st- storied Untold, not Stories Untold. Uh, I completed quickly as it's just a short story-driven game with just the four chapters. It was half price on Switch, and with the coins, I ended up paying £3.50 for it. Don't know if you know, but it's styled around 80s text adventures. You've sold me. Um, the first <laughs> chapter is definitely the best for me. I managed to throw in some good scares with very little there. The ending wraps it up together, and I was impressed when it all ties up at the end with quite a serious story. Hades is fantastic. We know. <laughs> uh, I've only had about a dozen or so runs, but start, uh, starting out really loving the style of the game and, u- and its use of the Greek mythology. I still need to finish Hades, but God I love that game so much.
0: I think I've done seven or eight tries, died on the first boss three times. I'm gonna go back, but I've been yeah um, spending a lot of my time spare time reading.
2: Once you've beaten um Megara once, you'll just stop steamrolling through her. Yeah. Like, one of those bosses. each boss I find is it takes you four or five goes to get through them. And once you've got it the first time, you say like, oh, I know how to do this, and you'll just steamroll through them in the future. I, I nearly, I
0: nearly, I nearly beat it the, the boss, um, but just managed to catch me. You're one of those really annoying things, like where you're doing really well, and all of a sudden one of the little shitty minions catches you, and you're like, yeah. fuck's sake, you've just taken like a massive chunk of my life off, and but you're an <laughs> enemy which I can kill in like one
2: blow. It's so annoying.
1: Is that just uh, switch and PC only? At it's the not minute, coming yeah. to yeah. other yeah, consoles. It's, it's is I think.
2: I think. I think they're going to port it to something. They'd be stupid not to. Mm. Um, TV wise, I started watching the series two of the Mandalorian with my son. I've gone off state for the last few years, but I've really enjoyed the show. It's far enough away from the movies to be enjoyable, and the little nods are good. I think and, you mean Star Wars. has gone. Off yeah, third. I was going to say that. Yeah, uh, looking forward to his Dark Material starting tonight. I watched that one with both my son and my daughter. Yes,
0: I am very much looking forward to that. I love His Dark Materials. The books are well, some of my favourite books. I was really impressed with the BBC adaptation last year. Um thousand times better than the film. So I'm really looking forward to uh, for season two.
2: Oh, excellent. Uh, well, thank you for that, Memories. Um, we also have, uh, from Rulmuk, uh, Nosejam, uh, who I've also just seen has just followed us on Twitch. Thank you for that, Nosejam uh hi gents i thought i was finished with this generation of console gaming after getting the platinum trophy and the excellent ghosts of tsushima back in july there didn't seem to be much on the horizon until the release of the ps5 and series x however with launch games slipping into december and beyond i found myself i found myself losing interest in my favorite hobby enter hades i never heard about the pc release so for me it came out of nowhere to become my game of the year surpassing the last of us 2 hades is so good it has made me question what i enjoy in a video game. I absolutely love big-budget AAA open-world extravaganza as much as the next person, but since Hades, I've turned in, turned to Xbox Game Pass to explore other genres and games that I would have usually overlooked. So, he's gone on a little list here. Firstly, I devoured the brilliant Carrion within a few hours. Uh, that's a great game, that one, actually. Then spent a glorious two weeks with Hollow Knight. Yes. You <laughs> stick be be happy there? Uh, Superland and Night in the Woods are both well worth a play, too. This week, I also signed up for Disney Plus, mainly for the new series of The Mandalorian, but also checked out Coco, stunning Pixar movie which I had somehow missed mm. at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, the room was a little dusty at the end. <laughs> I need to, I still need to watch Coco. Coco is really good, really good. Yeah, it is. Uh, thanks for the recommendation for of Flowers for Algernon. I thought I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The last line in particular was so perfect; it will stay with me for a long time. I'd like to f- uh, finish by recommending the four best books I've read in the last few years and he is recommended. A Scanner Darkly by Philip K. Dick, which is excellent. Uh, Dogs of War by Adrian Tchaikovsky, also excellent. In fact, Adrian Tchaikovsky is a brilliant sci-fi author. Uh, we Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. And The Curious Instant of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. I love that last one. Curious Instant is such a good book. Did it, any of those?
0: No, I've not read it. I've seen a Scanner Darkly film. That's about it. Yeah. And I really, I really want to watch the We Need to Talk About Kevin film as well. But uh, not read any. <laughs> yes,
2: well, yes. Thank you thank you for that one, Nose Jam. Uh We have Nimrod Hicks. Good lad, emailed in. Hi, guys. Hope all is well. Here is my recent escapisms. I'm approaching the final fight in Paper Mario, the Origami King. What a charming, funny, inventive, varied, and joyous experience it's been. Full of surprises and fun at the turn of every corner or door opened. Even the somewhat malign combat system clicked with me and the whole thing has been a real pleasure. I wholeheartedly recommend this game. You've been enjoying that stick, haven't you?
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. I finished it now, but uh yeah, I I agree even like the the combat system, which to begin with is a bit eh, like once you get used to it and figure it out, it's it's just a really fun game. It's got really like fun like writing as well. So yeah, I I recommend
2: that game. Excellent. Uh, next is a great show called Speechless. It's a US sitcom based around a great family of five where the eldest of the child of three teens Hang on, I'm going to read that again. It's a US sitcom based around a great family of five where the eldest three of three teens has cerebral palsy and is non-verbal, so communicates with a laser pointer and a word board. It doesn't dwell on this. It's just a charming and hilarious show with Minnie Driver playing a fantastic alpha mom and John Ross Bowie as a chilled out dad. The show was stolen by a standout performance by Mika Fowler, who can speak in real life, but acts with uh, just movement alone. Please check it out; it's a banger. I've never heard—I've
0: never heard of it, to be honest. It's no. um, this is the first I, I'm hearing of it. But I don't—I don't know what it's on. Uh, Nimrod, let us know what it's on to watch. Well,
2: yeah, mm. yeah. And finally, my all-time shout-out is the Detectorists. Written, directed, and starring Mackenzie Crook alongside the sublime Tooby Jones. For me, it's one of the greatest things ever committed to the screen. The subtle interplay between the pair can leave me crying or belly laughing with the mere raising of an eyebrow or sideways glance. It's a true masterpiece. Keep up the good work. We shall keep up the good work, Nimrod, as long as you keep sending us in in emails. They fuel us. I
1: started to watch that and liked it, but got distracted by something else and never went back to it, but I have heard good things. And Nimrod's just said that to me.
2: Yes. So last up, we're getting meta because Oodles has messaged in.
1: Oh, dear.
2: How dare he? He has risen from his pit of poor internet and sullied this Oodlesless episode with his presence. (laughs) He has emailed in. Four cars come to a four-way stop, all coming from a different direction. They can't decide who got there first, so they all go forward at the same time. They do not crash into each other, but all four cars go. How is
1: this possible?
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> any, any guesses? No
1: idea. I have, but it doesn't work for one part of that. <laughs> what, you... you know those big things that deliver uh, cars?
2: Oh, yeah, car transporters. Yeah, but it says they're coming from different directions. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's the bit where it says they can't decide who got there first, is the only bit where it doesn't work.
2: Uh, cars
0: come. I'm stumped, and uh, I'm going to throw this out to listeners. If you know the answer, give us a shout, because I don't know what the answer is at all. Yeah, no, nope. I, I don't. I don't want this to just be us of dead air going,
1: um, <laughs> for the next <laughs> yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah, that one's got me. Apart uh, from what uh, we normally do. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that one's got me, so yeah, the listeners can uh, let us know what your thoughts on that one, and we'll get Oodles to give us the answer when he's next on. Yeah, don't spoil
0: uh, and- it for us, Oodles. I have a riddle, if if you can do this one quickly. Yeah, sure. Um, can you name three consecutive days without using the words Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, or Sunday? No. Nope. The answer is yesterday, today, and tomorrow.
2: Okay. Yeah, I like that one. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's the only um, one
0: quick one that I know of. So.
2: Okay. Well, that concludes a rather bumper feedback section. Thank you, everyone, for pulling our arses out the fire with this one and giving us uh, some content for this podcast. Yeah, thank yes,
0: you. Yes, uh, much. Muchly appreciated for everyone who got in touch with us there. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our ramblings on what we've been doing. Um, We might have to come up with some new stuff now because we've used up all of our material. Uh, (laughs) But uh, last thing to go through before we finish is just our socials. Um, You can find us on Twitter at Modern Escapism. On there, you'll now find a link which takes you to all of our episodes, different social channels, and our Discord. Uh, If you have any comments, uh, you can either tweet us or email us at modernescapismpod at gmail.com. And we are also streaming on twitch.tv forward slash modernescapism. And this week, Oodle's internet working provided, he's going to be doing his Alien Isolation streams on Friday. Biggie's going to be back on Mondays with his Dark Souls stream and Gadget will be carrying on Sekiro on Wednesday nights. And finally, if you have Apple Podcasts, then leave us those five-star reviews because um, we do like those five-star reviews. They nothing are more. the best. Yep. Nothing nothing less, just five
1: stars. Don't want to see it.
0: So, yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening this week. And all that remains is just to say bye to uh, Gadget. Bye. Bye to Biggie. Cheers, guys. And bye to you, listeners. Thank you very much for joining us on another episode of Modern Escapism. End message.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's going in at the end of the podcast. (laughs)